Thought About Games, the podcast where games are looked at historically, fondly, and critically. I'm your host, Sid Menon, and tonight we're going to discuss Vanquish, a shooter developed by Platinum Games and published by Sega for the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. Joining me tonight are Amy Lynch. Hello. And Phoenix. Hi there. So, uh, Phoenix, what are you, what's your experience with Vanquish? I believe I got it as a Christmas present uh, around the year that it came out. And I had an absolute blast with it. I had played a few of Platinum games before, like uh, Bayonetta, and obviously a bit of Devil May Cry before that. But Vanquish was a very different beast for me, but I still enjoyed it heavily, and I had a lot of fun playing through it, until I inevitably got stuck on a bit, and then never really got back to it. Whoops. <laughs> you did end up... Yeah, yeah, I got through it eventually, but, like, right. there was just one part that's <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, I mean, we can we can discuss it when it comes up. Yeah. Amy, how about you? Honestly, I think Vanquish might be one of my favourite third-person shooters. It's definitely one of my favourite sort of third-person cover-based shooters, because mm. I feel it does a lot differently from the others. Because my problem with, like, Gears of War, for example, is you feel so slow, but in Vanquish you feel really quick. You feel like... You can go wherever you want, and there won't be any really slow downtime. Yeah. yeah. As for me, I played the demo around the time it came out on a friend's 360, which is good, because there's no demo for the PS3 version. Uh, but yeah, I played it around that time, but I didn't get a chance to touch the game again for a while. I think it was only, yeah, last year, finally, when I had time to play it. And I beat it all in one sitting on my first go, on a normal difficulty, and I had an absolute blast. Okay, so, Phoenix, you want to get us started with some history about the game? Okay. Well, Vanquish was directed by Shinji Mikami, who most people know as the director of the Resident Evil series. You know, that one. The one with all the zombies in it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> episode 2 was about. Yeah, funny that. Which, yes, there is an email about how six degrees of separation-tastic this has been. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he developed it, well, he began development in around 2007, and development of it was very, very heavily inspired by a 1970s anime called Kassan. Mikami claimed in an interview that he wanted it to be just like Kassan, but with guns! Because he'd already covered a very brawler-centric game with his previous game, God Hand. Yep. The main development platform was actually the PS3 this time, because of the Bayonetta, well, let's just say that Platinum wasn't really keen on having another incident like that again. Yeah, speaking of demos, I played a demo of Bayonetta when it was fairly new. On the 360, it looked really good. Really nice, very fluid. Years later, I saw a friend playing it on the PS3, and uh, that frame rate was low. I think people nowadays especially have a sort of issue if something doesn't run at 60. But, you know, 30's fine. Vanquish actually runs at 30, for the most part. And, yeah, Bayonetta is like 17 to 24, depending. I can see why they were upset with that. That was done third party. So, they turned it around for this one. Yeah, absolutely. Mikami himself says, After I finished up God Hand, I didn't have a team to work with, so I spent about a year and a half staring out a window. 
Soon thereafter, I was finally back at work in the studio. Vanquish is my first title after this period of almost running away from being a creator. The design of the game started with my initial desire to make a game like the Japanese animated series Kashin, as well as my desire to challenge myself by making a shooter with an incredible sense of speed and no, quote, slogging through, unquote, sections. And I'd say for the most part he succeeded. As for the no slogging through sections, I don't think he 100% succeeded, but in terms of third-person shooters, it's probably why I prefer this one, is that focus. The game opens up with a tutorial, optional tutorial segment. You can also just choose it from the main menu. And this is a pretty good, like, basic mechanics overview, but like everything with Platinum, if you want to learn anything about high-level play, that's not going to happen at all. But you get some exposure to some characters who actually don't have much to say during the main game, especially uh, Professor Candide. Mm-hmm. It's all right, and it's good that it's skippable, at least so you can get right into the game if you'd like. Yeah, I, I hate when a tutorial is integrated into an actual level, because that just means you have to slog through it every single time. I mean, if it's done well, then mm-hmm. it can be good, but for the most part, it's not done well. Most of the time, it's just... First time's like, all right, okay, but after that, I know this. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, if you choose to skip the tutorial or as soon as you complete it, you get to see the opening cinematic. Phoenix, you want to run down what happens there? Well, it's a very lovely day in LA, the sun is out, there's not a cloud in the sky, and oh god, there's a gigantic satellite laser. San Francisco. San Francisco, sorry. For some reason I just thought LA in my head, even though I could see on the screen San Francisco. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know, it's one of those days, I tell you. But yes, it's... (laughs) Generally, a very normal day, up until a gigantic satellite laser blasts into the center of the city and basically microwaves the entire population. Yeah, it's pretty violent. Yeah, it's surprisingly brutal, especially for the tone that the rest of the game sets. Yeah. And, I mean, the music's kind of cheesy, too, so it's like, oh, synth horns, wah, 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 <laughs> and then you see a guy, like, explode inside a car. It does shy away from the most graphic bits, but oh my god. It's not what you expect when you look at the cover and you put the game in for the first time. Yeah. Anyway, we find out that this was all done by Russia, which has been taken over by a thing called the Order of the Red Star, which is a fantastic name. I just... it's real good. We then cut to the White House, where we discover that President Winters, aka very blatantly Hillary Clinton, is not going to stand for that. And so she sent out a big fleet of ships to recapture the satellite and hopefully bring the Order of the Red Star to justice before we get full-scale war. Yep, and then you get a cutscene on the ship of a giant man, the most grizzled war veteran-looking man of all time, Robert Burns, giving a speech about what the mission is. He has a metal arm, and he points out a guy uh, in a different-looking suit. You'll have seen him if you played the tutorial or looked at the box. It's Sam Gideon. On this mission, under the pretense of testing the augmented reaction suit that was developed at DARPA, which is who he works for. And then, after the briefing ends, uh, Sam talks to Burns, and he sort of knocks on his mechanical body parts and says, they really did a number on you. Maybe we could use you as a test subject at DARPA. Which is really dickish. Yeah. Sam's like a kind of a huge dick. Even for a Platinum Games main character, which they kind of 
ride that line between being a dick and being likable, that's a weird first impression for your character to make. Yeah, like, especially early on, Sam is a gigantic dick, but he does get better over time. Makes sense if you read his backstory and you see that he used to be a uh, football player. So when you think about it, Sam Gideon is basically just a jock. <laughs> so much sense now. Yeah, there are bios for the characters, but yeah. they're on the loading screens. You can't view them anywhere else in game. And you can't stay on the loading screen to read the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it just instantly boots you out. From what I remember, Sam Gideon used to be a football player, but yeah, he got a really bad injury and he actually can't really walk properly without the uh, Oz suit. Burns tries to slice at Sam with a huge knife and cuts the Sam's cigarette in half. Sam freaks out and then Burns just says, you're not allowed to smoke on this ship, which I think is pretty funny considering what happens to the ship next. <laughs> The uh, defense system um, from the colony laser starts shooting and blowing holes in the ship, which sucks people out into space before sealing it up. You can use all the movement mechanics here if you want to try them out, but you can just walk through. I mean, it's paced to be about that fast. Once you reach the cargo bay, you get a cutscene of them breaking into the colony. I really love the design of the colony. Like, it is so cool to me just to see this gigantic cylinder in space. And the interior especially is yeah. amazing. Everything about it is just really, really well designed. And if you stop and look around, you'd just be amazed by just how much they designed in the background. Like, at the very start, when you've just broken into the colony, if you look in the background, you could actually see a load of um, marine ships just exploding. Yeah, they definitely actually modeled a lot in this game instead of just showing it off in the distance like and making it abstract mm -hmm. for me i mean i'm a i'll say average level fan of gundam because i actually haven't seen a lot of the series but I, I played a lot of the games and this definitely felt like that it was inspired by gundam it's a design called an o'neill cylinder which was actually an idea proposed by someone in like 1976 yeah there'll be like one slit that's uh colony and then a window to let the sunlight in they're interchanged and every bit that's a colony is you know just like regular ground level but since it's a cylinder it's above you or below you it was pretty difficult for them to do because they wanted it to have that appearance where you look up and you see the rest of the colony but in most games they have it abstracted so that like you're outside or something right so you can just look up in the sky and beyond the sky is space they don't need to show you anything but they couldn't really cheat it with this one if they wanted to look like there were buildings up there and be at a reasonable speed for the game. And I mentioned Gundam, but those games, you're in a robot that's bigger than most buildings. So again, they have a reason to scale down to detail. Mm -hmm. Gecko, you want to talk about Sam's gun? Which one? <laughs> well, I mean, the whole system. Technically, yeah, he only has one gun. I... I actually really like the way uh, they do the stuff with guns in the game because Sam technically picks up guns that he finds, but what he has is, I think it's called the Blade System, though I, I yeah. recall that's a really daft acronym that really barely mm -hmm. works. Basically, it can flash, scan, and recreate any weapon he can find, and if he picks up duplicates, the weapon he has gets stronger. It also looks amazing, like the animation, it files back into itself and then just comes back out as the other weapon. It's so well done. 
Yeah, it animates in real time as you mm-hmm. switch. Yeah, it's just so slick. It's one of my f- favorite little details about Vanquish, and Vanquish is very good about little details. Oh yeah, Vanquish oh, is yeah. amazing about little details. It's just there's so much stuff, especially on a uh, Sans suit. And then you get to the first actual gunfight in the game. Robots everywhere firing turrets at you. Your teammates are all shouting. It's pretty intense. There's a lot of shrapnel and debris flying everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot. Everything explodes the most all the time. After you kill all the enemies, which I think there's some that constantly come back, but you're, you'll be behind them at that point. Mm-hmm. It only ends when the ship you evacuated from crashes into the bay. Yeah, I, f- I feel it sets the tone of Vanquish and what you're going to find in most major gunfights in that game, to be honest. Just everything exploding all the time. Very much sets a very good expectation for what the rest of the game is going to become, because there is no break, there is no real time to catch your breath in a firefight. You have to be moving constantly, and it very much mm-hmm. gives you that impression from the word go. And I figured we may as well uh, talk about the guns as they come up, and I thought it was best that we start with the three guns you begin the game with. The assault rifle, shotgun, and the heavy machine gun. So yeah, the assault rifle is... If there's any gun you're going to keep the whole game, it's this one. Yeah, it's definitely one you should keep for the whole game, because it's just what you need at any given time. It can just do a lot of things fairly reliably. Yeah, it's got, it can hold a decent amount of ammo, does damage quickly, it's rapid fire, you can aim it precisely. Also, the sound it makes when you shoot it is just like that good popcorn firecracker, mm-hmm. but like, like bass and impact to it. It's great. I mean, I kept it the first time, never got rid of it, which is also good because lots of enemies drop it. You're always loaded up and it's also fairly easy to actually upgrade it. Yeah. And it is really good when you upgrade it. I think the final upgrade for the assault rifle gives it like plus 50% more damage, mm-hmm. which is just so good, it turns into an absolute destructive beast. Then there's the shotgun. Ah, I love the shotgun. The shotgun's pretty good, but I never really kept it for too long to actually upgrade it very much, but from what I used of it, it's pretty good, and I think I used it more on subsequent playthroughs, because it is very good when you use it in its element. It's very much a reactionary weapon. I mean, you can also use it pretty aggressively by getting up in enemy's faces with it, mm-hmm. with your superior movement speed. And in terms of a good, like, high damage output weapon, it works pretty well. It definitely is something you come to appreciate more as you get more comfortable moving into danger. Because when you're far away, there are a lot of guns that yeah. work better. For the... I didn't actually use the shotgun much on my first playthrough because of that. I didn't either, yeah. I pretty much used all three of the starting weapons almost exclusively because I just enjoyed the feel of them so much. But I'm weird. (laughs) And then there's the heavy machine gun, which is another one that I didn't keep, but I did pick it up on the spot when I needed it. The way I played is I had the assault rifle, one of the DLC weapons, which we can talk about later, then one slot, which I just constantly switch out based on the situation. The heavy machine gun's really good in a pinch. It's a more destructive, less accurate version of the assault rifle. I actually did a similar thing, but instead of the DLC weapon, I actually had the heavy machine gun. I kept that for most of the game because it's just nice to switch to when you need something dead really quickly. Like if one of the bigger enemies comes out, it's nice to just 
pull out and tear them down with, because it does a really appreciable amount of damage. And that, that can hold a lot more ammo. Yeah. Yeah, it synergizes really nicely with the assault rifle, because if you need something fairly dead, but you don't really have a lot of time, just pull out the heavy machine gun, open fire. It's gone, yeah. And you can switch weapons mid-firing, so if you're about to run out of ammo, you can just tap the D-pad to switch to the heavy machine gun and keep firing. There's also, at the landing site, there's an obstacle which you can only get under by using the boost mechanic. And I think they put this here, because there's never an obstacle like this ever again in the game. You have to boost under. But they wanted you to use it, because the boost is the heart of Vanquish. Yeah. Yeah, I really do get the feeling that during their QA testing, people weren't using the boost at all, so they put that in just to kind of remind people, yes, this exists, use it. There is a dodge button, and it's fairly effective for like avoiding melee attacks, but even those require you to sort of react at the last second. Mm-hmm. And you can move faster than you do in most shooters at their default movement speed and dodge, but if you want to keep up with the pace of this game, you have to boost. Definitely. And you'll want to because it's awesome. The way the boosters work, they're not like you'd expect in most games where your character would lean forward like you wouldn't like Mega Man or something, or use it like a jetpack. No, Sam slides legs first on the ground, facing upwards, and he just rocket slides on his butt everywhere. He can also power slide. It should be mentioned that one of the possible animations for the boost is he power slides. Yes, they didn't do it a lot, but it looks cool. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in Vanquish that you don't do a lot, but it looks cool. Pretty much. There are a lot of animations that the suit does to make the boost look right, Mm -hmm. alongside the dashing and everything, and the melee attacks. All the parts animate individually on Sam's suit at any time. Yeah. Yeah, that's another one of the, like, little details again that they just absolutely love putting in. Because if you, even if you're standing still, you can see parts of the suit moving with you. It's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. The suit was very much integral to the design of the game. Like, uh, Mikami, when he was first developing, he really wanted to keep the feeling of speed from Kashan. And that kind of led to the introduction of a boost mechanic, along with the feeling that it just felt like a slog early on in the game without the boost. People were just feeling that. The levels were too slow, you were moving too slowly, you needed to be fast. And that's how boosting came along. So they got, they kind of took the original design of Sam's suit and they readjusted the hips because there were some fairly outlying things which really didn't much have much of a purpose without the boost. So they changed them into thrusters and said, okay, he can boost now using his butt. Have fun. <laughs> Early on, uh, it was going to have various forms, actually, which, with the amount of transforming parts on a suit, you can easily imagine it, like, docking with something. Mm-hmm. Originally, there was going to be a female android who joined you on the field, and she could transform into stuff that would combine with your suit. And also, there was a robot dog, just like Rush from Mega Man, and this thing would also combine with you to give you different forms. What they really wanted to do was... At certain points, you can combine with them and create gigantic weapons to just blow people away, along with, like, more utility stuff as well. And that would have been really cool, but it kind of got dummied out after a while. Mm-hmm. Yoshifumi Hattori, who didn't design the suit, that was Makoto Tsuchibayashi, 
but Hattori is the one who had the ideas for the combinations and such and said, As the player would hoist her up, their bodies would change shape in various ways from forming an enormous gun to having the android change into a boomerang and be thrown into the field. Oh my god. That just sounds hilarious. I kind of wish they'd kept that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds ridiculous. Like, the dog itself actually made it almost all the way to the modeling phase, but again, it just got cut for <laughs> just streamlining reasons, really. To be fair, like, that would add a whole other dimension to this game. Like, I can see how it was easier to take out. Because there's also a uh, dog ally in a later Platinum game, Metal Gear Rising. He's a boss fight, but when you're on the field with him, he scouts ahead. So you don't ever hang around with him or fight alongside him. The idea came from Kashern. That design is actually much more emblematic of its era. It's a 70s anime. It's by, or it's at least owned by Tatsunoko, who also owns Speed Racer. It has a very heroic, classic cartoon look to it. Mm-hmm. The suit actually bears more similarities to the suit from the live-action movie they made of it, which is, I guess, what you'd consider a gritty reboot. Because it has a lot of violence in it. The suit's like, oh, it's holding his body together, he'll tear himself apart, whereas in the anime it was just like a robot body that the doctor's kid transported his mind into to fight evil robots. Bears more similar to that, though, it definitely has a lot more going on. It's much more mechanical than that suit. The enemies you fight, and they're who you'll fight for most of the game. Instead of space marines, you fight these robots called Gorgi USNs. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> Sorry, I love that name. <laughs> I love all the names, they're fantastic. Well, I like most of the names. I mean, some are kind of plain, but these things are bright red. They make all these sort of weird mechanical whirring noises. They're really versatile. They have different guns. Most of them have assault rifles. Some of them have shotguns and the like. And you can break parts off of them as you shoot them. If you break their head off, it still kills them. It's not an instant kill, but it's the fastest way to kill them. But if you break their legs off, they will start beeping and rushing at you to blow themselves up. That does a lot of damage. I think if you're, like, much lower than full health, that's just instant kill. Yeah, it will automatically knock you into kind of your desperation mode where time will slow down Mm -hmm. and you're given an opportunity to just get the hell out of there. You don't want to make them go kamikaze unless you have a method for dealing with them. (laughs) If you boost, you can get away, but it's a matter of maintaining your space. Or you can keep shooting them, but that's more time shooting a close-range enemy you could maybe boost away from instead of (laughs) the other enemies who are still shooting (laughs) you. An interesting thing about the uh, standard Gorgies is I actually heard somewhere that they were originally white, Yep. but that clashed with the background horribly, so they made them yeah. just bright red so you knew what you were shooting. Yeah, Mikami was really resistant to that idea at first. <laughs> he really loved the white and grey designs, but even he had to admit when they changed them to red, it made it a lot easier to actually see and shoot them. Yeah. And also, originally, part of the early design with the white gorgies and everything was that the levels were supposed to be wide-open battlefields where you'd boost around and, and there would crush enemy positions. They changed this because they wanted to focus on visual density and intensity. I think that was the right choice. Mm-hmm. Though it does feel like something I would like to see. Maybe not like as the main way the game is played, but there isn't really a section where you do this even in the game, which considering all the other ways they try to add variety it would have been nice to have a big open section though then it would also feel much more sparse than other segments of the game yeah and i think part of this whole like taking multiple positions thing is there are turrets which if the enemies use them they can shoot at you forever but if you use them they actually have limited ammo which is not 
that common in first-person or third-person shooters? No, it's really not. Usually they just have unlimited ammo. And they just overheat. Like, usually what'll happen is, if you're strapped to the turret, it'll be unlimited ammo, but you might have the option to take it off, and then it will become limited? Yeah, like in Wolfenstein. Yeah. There is uh, something you can do if you are under fire from a turret, like, because instead of just having to boost or just stick your face out to bullets and take some hits, if you press the boost button when you're behind cover, you will light a cigarette, he'll smoke it first, and then Sam will toss the cigarette out and that'll distract enemies. Yeah, it is one of those very strange features that you might never actually figure out while you're playing the game. Or you might discover it like me in your third firefight and suddenly, oh, I can use this and it has a tactical advantage. Cool. Yeah, there's actually two achievements for uh, killing enemies distracted by the cigarette. I think the first one is three, and I specifically remember the second one because it's an absolute bastard to get, which is called Old Lang Syne, which is for killing... Ten enemies distracted by one cigarette. Oh god. <laughs> it's horrible, I haven't actually got it. There's one particular part where I think you could do it. When the ship breaks through, you get uh, one of these sequences, which is in a lot of modern games, that I don't like, even though I understand why it's in here. In this case it goes into first person, but you slow down to walking speed, and character talks in your ear. In this case it's uh, Elena who was also part of DARPA. She was there at the tutorial. Yeah, she just fills you in on the situation. And she says, your suit's performing at nominal levels. And Sam says, never had a girl say that to me before. <laughs> what? I mean, yeah, probably not. Sam is kind of a dork sometimes. <laughs> Sam comes from the Shinji Mikami school of just awful fucking one-liners. No thanks, bro. <laughs> Where's everybody going? Bingo. <laughs> but those at least, like, I can understand why he said them, even though they were dumb in Resident Evil 4. But this is sort of like, uh, huh? I, I probably wouldn't have said that. Yeah. In a lot of ways, Vanquish, I think, doesn't stick for some people because it is Platinum's least clever game. They're all, to some level, just, like, gloriously dumb. But there's something about them, he's like, oh, that's actually kind of smart, that's kind of nice. There are two moments I can think of in this game, one of which is the beginning with there's no smoking allowed on the ship, and this is definitely not the other one. No. Beyond this point, though, once you get done with this walking section, which you also can't skip, in Metal Gear Rising at least you can do that. <laughs> and this is where the demo actually begins. Uh, you go out into a bay. This is a big open area. There's a few sandbagged positions, there's some enemies on an upper level, and this is sort of where you can actually really let loose and try out all your abilities. I was pretty much playing it like a third-person shooter at that point. I was very much sticking together, trying to rush out and shoot things when I could, but occasionally getting ever so slightly incredibly overconfident and paying for it badly. You can go fast, but there are still limits to what you can and can't do when it comes to rushing ahead. Mm. The energy bar is there for a reason, and I learned very quickly to respect it. Yeah. If the bar drains, then you have to wait for it to refill, and then you cannot boost, and you cannot use the other mechanic that the uh, meter is used for, which is slowing down time. There's a lot of bullet time mechanics in games, but usually it's just a button, you just toggle it on and off whenever you need to. Hmm. In this case, you have to initiate it doing specific maneuvers, usually evasive 
which encourages you to be more active because you can't be behind cover and just activate the augmented reaction mode. Yeah. You have to either dodge out to the side or if you're cool, you'll hop over cover and trigger it and it'll trigger when you're halfway over cover and shoot everyone while you're in midair. Or if you're super cool, you boost into cover, kick off the cover, and then stop time when you're in the air, which is a thing you can do. Yeah, I didn't know about that for a long time, uh, and that is kind of one of those higher level techniques that opens up the game. If you hop over cover, that gives you some height, it gives you some advantage, but I mean, if this enemy's on the opposite side of cover, you have to turn to face them. Whereas with this, you will jump off higher into the air, and now you're aiming down at the enemies, you have a much easier shot at their heads, and that's everyone on the opposite side of the cover. Mm -hmm. This is probably a good time to also talk about some of the other mechanics. We mentioned upgrading guns. There are two ways to do it. If you pick up a gun that you already have, it refills to its maximum capacity, no matter what. They don't have like random amounts of bolts in them, which is good, it's simple, it's straightforward. If your gun is at max ammo and you pick up another gun, it gets an upgrade or it makes progress towards an upgrade. And the other way to do that is sometimes enemies will drop these floating green cubes, which just upgrade whatever gun you're holding when you pick the cube up. And upgrades are pretty important, they're the only power-up mechanic in the game. I was actually really expecting when I went into the game to be able to upgrade the suit, but no, the suit at the start is as strong as it's ever going to be. Yeah, it is kind of strange, especially coming from, again, like Bayonetta and other Platinum games, and even yeah. Clover, and uh, even going way, way back to the original Devil May Cry, like, you've got power-ups, you could upgrade your body as well as your weapons, but not so much in Vanquish, which kind of makes me wonder if they... Did that intentionally, or if it was something that was just cut out during development? Yeah, I was actually wondering that as well. But on the other hand, I also can't quite think of how you would upgrade it, like, in fiction-wise. Yeah. I mean, Resident Evil 5 didn't bother with that justification. Just in between chapters, me, the white male protagonist, <laughs> is going to sell all the jewels I stole from Africa and upgrade my guns. <laughs> Well, I mean, when you put it like that. <laughs> oh no, Capcom, you did it again. <laughs> but yeah, there are uh, sort of act and mission breaks in this game. Uh, where they probably could have done something in it, or just let you, you know, pop the menu open when you feel like it. That would slow the game down, but in a longer game where this kind of mechanic would probably fit better, I don't think it'd be as much of a problem. And you could frame that any number of ways when you're just blowing apart all these robots gives you raw material to upgrade your gun that can scan other guns and become other guns the upgrades uh, have all sorts of effects in some cases it increases your ammo capacity it might increase your fire rate for the shotgun i think it increases the amount of pellets it outputs per shot one thing i really like about the upgrade system is that it gives you a reason to keep the guns that you have but also a reason to yeah. experiment as well. If you're not liking how your gun's upgrading, if you think that it's just not keeping up, then you can just, like, get another gun, start upgrading it, see how that one goes, and eventually you do kind of start to get a feel for every gun, and you really start to stick around with your favorites, because, oh no, what if I drop this gun, and then there's an upgrade later down the line, and I can't upgrade it anymore. Yeah, that's true. It's, there's still, like, a resource consideration to go with it. One of the problems is the game doesn't communicate that you don't need to pick up the exact same assault rifle 
that you had all your upgrades on for you to have those upgrades. Mm -hmm. If you find another one later, it'll still have the ones you have because the upgrades are stored on your gun. They're not stored on the things you drop and pick up. Which is really nice. What isn't really nice about the upgrade system is every time you die, the current weapon you have equipped loses one of its ranks. I mean, that's another reason to carry a gun maybe you're not set on upgrading, is if you can feel like you're not going to make it, but you still have some time to react, you can switch to that gun and just bomb out its upgrade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One other attack mechanic, which I just wanted to talk about really quickly, which is melee attacks, which vary across the type of gun you have equipped. These are cool, but with a caveat I do not really like, and a lot of people don't, which is using a melee attack, no matter how much, like if it's a multi-punch combo and you punch once or you mash the button and do a million punches, it will bottom out your ARS gauge immediately. Yeah, it's not particularly fantastic. Like, it's justified in the game itself as just... Sam literally uses all of his boost to punch this guy really hard in the face, but at the same time... (laughs) I can kind of see why they did it, though, because I think the fact that it bottoms out your boost gauge kind of adds impact to it. Yeah. But I can also see why people would dislike that, because the melee is cool. You want to do the melee more, like... The melee attack on the assault rifle, you, you literally just go star platinum on someone's ass. It's great. I guess that's the problem, too, is you can, you do one punch, it drains all your gauge. You do all the punches, it drains your whole gauge. Yeah. So the fact that you can do some makes it feel like it should just drain some of your gauge. Yeah, but I suppose that would mean it would have, every single attack would have to have some kind of number attached to it, which I could see being slightly more awkward. Yeah, that is fair. Another good thing about melee attacks, though, is they automatically face the nearest enemy. Yeah. So the Gorgias actually have bayonets on their weapons, which they'll slash at you with. There's a bit of a wind-up. You can dodge it, but you can't actually just blindly mash the dodge button. You have to wait for the last moment, otherwise they'll turn towards you Mm mid-slash. So in that case, if there's one left or something, or you're in a position where you can hide without worrying about needing to engage slow motion or boost... You can just tap the button and punch the thing out before it hits you. Yeah, and this section also, enemies zap in, which is them teleporting in. This is kind of neat because it allows for two sort of ways of approaching it, where if you're cautious, you can take the time to set yourself up to be in a good position to take out the enemies. But if you're aggressive, you can do a really cool maneuver where you throw a grenade at them as they're about to teleport in, go into slow motion, and then shoot the grenade, which will cause an even bigger explosion somehow, as soon as they appear. Did either of you know about this before, like, having to look it up? I definitely did not, because I just thought, okay, I'm gonna throw out that grenade and hope that everyone sticks together before it explodes. I wanna say I did know about that, because there's a very similar thing in Lost Planet 2, and I think I might have been playing those around the same time, so just instinctively I just threw a grenade and shot it in midair. Yeah, that makes sense. I only found out about it when I was watching a speedrun by a guy named Half Coordinated. He did it live at uh, an event called... uh, it was either Awesome Games Done Quick or Summer Games Done Quick. Like, it's a speedrun tactic because it does improve your damage output a whole lot. There are two types of grenades. These also have upgrades, but since you're always carrying grenades pretty much, as long as you don't throw all of them all the time, you can get upgrades, which mostly just increase your capacity and, I think, damage sometimes. Yeah, you can upgrade the grenades, and mostly it's just the capacity and damage, but 
both of them have a special final upgrade. The second top grenade you get, which is the EMP, which just stuns enemies, that actually, the final upgrade instantly kills Gorgies. Nice. Oh, wow. It is really good. It is definitely worth saving up for, if you can. But it can also be kind of difficult, because grenades aren't massively frequent. Yeah, you have to kind of just not use them ever. You want to get that, and you can't use upgrade cubes because you're never technically holding the grenades like at the ready. Mm-hmm. The hand grenades are straight up damage, so they're they're good for any situation. But the EMP emitters stun enemies, and that works on pretty much everyone. It's actually probably more efficient on bosses to use an EMP emitter to stun someone and then go into slow motion and without worry unload tons of damage on them. Yeah, it's a very good strategy to use because again, they can't hit you. You can take. Very good advantage of that. Also in this segment, you can find a sniper rifle, and it's it's weird to think of this gun fitting into this game because of the high speed with which you move and stopping and, you know, aiming slowly to snipe someone. Uh, but if you use this alongside slow motion, you can actually feasibly use a sniper rifle in close combat for precision shots. And this is a fairly open area, so it's actually pretty useful. And most of the battle areas are either open or long enough that you can make use of the sniper rifle. My only problem with the sniper rifle is, um, the sniper rifle doesn't really work with the way the weapon's upgrade system works, because there's not a massive amount of point I ever felt to actually keep the sniper rifle with you, because if you need a sniper rifle, the game will always just give you one. That's true. I mean, if you like it, though, you can always keep it as an aside. There's definitely one segment where you can get a lot of sniper rifle upgrades. Yeah. Though it's not advisable to do it at that point because you want to have them to reload with. Mm-hmm. There aren't just Gorgies here. There are also bigger enemies called Romanovs, which have a big cannon, and they're much bigger. They can hit harder, but you can get around them easier. And they have a, a weak point that's on their back. You might not actually have to fight any of them that way in this section because there are these things you can hop on called walkers that have limited ammo again, but they fire these powerful explosive energy shots. And you can steal one from an enemy by just killing the enemy on it and you can just jump up behind it. There's a point where a bunch of enemies come through a gate and I always grab the walker and just point it at the gate and blast them all as they come through, and they can't really do anything about it. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely kind of like the game giving you an easy option and saying, here, have some fun. (laughs) I actually didn't catch on that you could pilot the walkers until, like, my third playthrough. (laughs) Actually, I don't (laughs) even know if it was my third playthrough. I think I had to watch an LP to figure it out. Yeah, I think I saw it in a trailer or something, or, like, a playthrough of someone playing the demo. Because you can also just blow the walker up by shooting it a lot. Mm. And with the amount of turrets in the area and things, that's pretty possible. After you clear out the enemies here, you get one cutscene, which, you know, just says to go on ahead through the gate. It's kind of weird that this is here, because there's a cutscene where people just say, Okay, move forward, and nothing happens in it. And then you do move forward, and then there's a cutscene where Elena detects that they're zapping in something big. And it is big. Oh, yes. The Argus, which the only thing Elena really says about it, it's at the center of the arms control debate, which I think is a really good way to just 
describes how powerful something is without having to say too much about it that people even with all the weapons of war you're currently fighting with they're like i don't know about this one (laughs) This one might be too much. Yeah, it's a really nice bit of world building as well because it kind of gives you an idea of what the current bleeding out of technology is and it's this gigantic robot that you have to kill now. Have fun. (laughs) It's harder than it looks, but also if you don't pay attention, then it can kind of sneak up a lot of damage on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it has a bunch of mounted guns, which are pretty much constantly firing at you, but also all the other marines that are with you. It also has a big main cannon, and you want to hit the core on it to lower its health bar. Everything else will just destroy the things that are mounted on it. But when you weaken it enough, when its core is exposed, it will send out these pulses that will actually overheat your suit and disable your augmented reaction gauge. I don't think those um waves can actually hit you if you're behind cover, though, which is nice. But yeah, that's a nasty surprise the first time, because I think that's the first thing in the game that can really just stop you from using your time slowing and stuff. Yeah, you don't need to use boost too much against this boss, mm-hmm. uh, except that... The turrets, they also can get blown up pretty easily, especially by bosses, less so by you. Mm-hmm. And the boss will target you if you're laying into it. It can kind of suck if you expose its weak point but you don't have any turrets left and you have to use your own weapons, mm-hmm. but they give you a fair amount. You can actually run out of ammo in this game and have no options left for destroying something. Even the manual says, just reload a checkpoint <laughs> and try again. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, die, but that, that didn't happen to me. Ever. I never really felt like I was in danger of completely bottoming out on ammo. No, they really do everything they can to make sure that you always at least have a weapon available. And once you get its health low enough, it transforms from a sort of spider robot thing to a person robot thing. Mm-hmm. Before it transforms though, it launches just tons of missiles everywhere. <laughs> I wonder if that's why it's at the center of the arms control debate. Because <laughs> when you when it transforms, it just spews rockets out everywhere. It's got to be against some kind of convention. <laughs> yeah. So this is definitely a case of uh, scarier than it looks, because you can just sort of hide behind cover in one place and yeah. none of them will hit you. Yeah. It actually takes effort to get hit by them. And in this case, it's the same deal, although you have more weak points that you'll want to break down so you can expose the core. And since it's bipedal now, you have more room to actually face it on the ground floor area, which is much more open. Though, a weird thing with this game, there are finisher moves on the bosses, but they're one, not necessarily finishers, and two, aren't really triggered especially by your actions. Mm -hmm. They're more as reactions to what the boss or the enemies do in this game. Yeah, the first time the QTE for the Argus triggered, I was just going like, what What? what am I doing? Why, why, why am I hitting these buttons? And I failed completely. But the next time yeah. it happened, I was a bit more ready for it, and the result was amazing. Like, I think it was during the spider tank section still, where he just launches one of his big old missiles. And so, of course, Sam just decides, I'm going to jump on that missile, and I'm going to ram it straight down the spider's turret. As you do. If you get it right, it does a ton of damage and it looks really cool, but you have to be prepared for it happening any time. I think the main one most people will get is it'll slam its arm down, so the QT is to dodge the arm. He runs up on its arm, dodges around it as the hand launches him into the air, 
and fires missiles at him. You rotate the analog stick as Sam sort of like twists his body around where the missiles are. And then for the last one, he grabs it and shoves it into the arm. And he also goes in the arm. And then he explodes out of it. It's a real just precursor to Metal Gear Rising, I feel. Because you don't mind that they're QTEs, because holy shit, this is amazing. Though these ones are honestly kind of hard. Yeah, they give you some really awkward uh, motions to do. Yeah, it's kind of a holdover from the Bayonetta days, I feel like, because those QTEs were A, very unforgiving, and B, pretty difficult to pull off. Mm-hmm. Once you blow this thing up, you get a ranking screen, which, unlike every other Platinum game, it doesn't give you an overall rating to say, you know, really how good of a job you did. It just tells you things, and you're supposed to discern from that. You get a score... But, I mean, you don't know, like, is this a good number, is this a bad number the first time you play? And you don't really know how all the factors it gives you figure into that score. Mm-hmm. How much time in cover is too much time? I don't know. <laughs> it tells you how much time you spent in cover, like, percent of time yeah. in cover. Yeah. I've always kind of wondered if you can do, like, a 0% cover usage run of Vanquish. Maybe. It would probably be possible, but you'd need to be very good with your boosting. Economical with it. Mm-hmm. It also ranks you on something, which is kind of another disappointment, is how many Pangloss statues you collected. Oh, God. And these are just figures hanging around in the background, which when you shoot them, say in like a high-pitched, not quite chipmunk, but like a high, like obviously pitched up line that one of the marines would say... So, usually something really sweary. <laughs> and for shooting them, you get nothing. I haven't actually found most of them, and I really don't care to. They're really well hidden, so you don't get anything for them. Which is a real disappointment, considering, like, Bayonetta or Resident Evil 4, which had just so much unlockable stuff. Even Gears of War has, like... Oh, if you shoot all these dumb things, you get a squirt gun or whatever. I can't remember, but... Yeah, it's so weird then for people who are very good about this to just throw in a collectible that's total nonsense. I don't even actually know if it affects your score, yeah. I, mean, I assume it does. For that 0% cover run too, I imagine if there was any difficulty you'd do it on, it would probably be casual difficulty. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I played on normal, below that is casual, and then casual also has an additional mode called casual auto, where when you pull up the weapon sights, you will automatically turn towards an enemy. And also enemies have drastically lowered health in this mode. Mm-hmm. So for if you use a high-power weapon, you just hold the button, tap, and you'll move to the next enemy, tap, and you move to the next enemy. It is easy, but it does also feel kind of cool. Like, I, I like it for different reasons than challenge. I think there's five difficulties. There's casual, normal, hard, very hard, and god hard. Yeah. The casual difficulty, actually, on the Platinum Games blog, which is where we're getting these quotes from, Shinji Mikami said, Once you get your target on the enemy, the rest is easy as pie. I'm sure saying it that way makes it sound totally uninteresting, but when you actually give it a shot, the tempo it gives the gameplay will make you jump up and say, (laughs) Woohoo! Shinji Mikami's a strange man. I can see where the nominal suit performance line comes from. (laughs) Yeah, like, all of the blog posts are very 
very casual, very kind of, uh, oh, we did this because we felt like doing it, and it, it gives you a good mindset into how Platinum Games thinks as a company. Yeah, I definitely appreciated that. So when we get to the next section, like the last segment had a boss in it, but the next gunfight has a lot more enemies concentrated into upper and lower areas. There's a chance that when your allies take a lot of damage, they'll actually die, but you have a limited time, you can run up to them and press the action button, and you'll revive them, and they'll drop a random item. Yeah, that's actually one of the ways that it makes sure that you always have at least some kind of option, because sometimes the soldiers will drop grenades, sometimes they'll drop weapons, but you'll always have something to deal with it, and you won't really have a big danger of bottoming out unless you have no soldiers near you. And even if you're doing well, like it's, it can just be kind of useful, like, oh hey, this guy dropped another assault rifle, upgrade, sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you always have an incentive for doing it, and I really appreciate it for that. Yeah, and you can revive people endlessly, there's no limit. <laughs> One of the many clever bits of dialogue is after that section, uh, Burns is sassing Sam about DARPA not developing teleportation. And Sam says, last time we tried it, we had a rat with its head literally shoved up its own ass. Yeah, that is just one of my favorite lines in the game. It just comes out of nowhere. It's not really remarked upon at all, it's there and it's done and it's fantastic for it. <laughs> I think my favourite line in the game is actually a few chapters later. There are chapter titles, we're not going to refer to them because I hardly noticed when they popped up in the game. Mm-hmm, I can't even remember any of them. Yeah. Even though it's split onto two levels, uh, most of the fighting is below. Once you get on top, there's a door uh, you need to open, but some of the marines have been captured. And Burns makes a big deal out of just saying, just leave them behind, screw them, like even though you can't even get the door open yet, and this encounter's not actually that tough. But Sam makes a point of doing it, Burns grudgingly allows him to. And these guys are in these weird electric restraint things, which when you save them, they all say something weird to the effect of liking it. Yeah, like the first guy is kind of like, oh thank god you got me out of there, but then as you go on to like, Actually, could you put me back in, please? Or can I get one of those on eBay? <laughs> yeah, one of the guys like, oh, I actually fixed, like, my back. <laughs> which, why are you going into this with a bad back, dude? Yeah, and Sam says, can't buy on eBay, which... I mean, I, I used eBay recently, but that's not even something I think about today. <laughs> is using eBay. Mm-hmm. Like that culturally relevant now, but in the future, eBay's gonna have a big resurgence. <laughs> Some of the marines stay behind to guard the door, which, why? There's not that many of you. Like, at the beginning when all the ships got blown up, it kind of gave the impression that, like, oh, Sam and these marines are going to be the only guys left. But not actually. These are just the most close by. But still, I don't know why they leave, like, two guys behind to guard this door that you're not ever going to go back through. Then the next section has a new enemy introduced called the Chicane. At first you might not recognize it's an enemy, because it is a turret that forms into cover, which the enemies use a fair bit. Uh, in these cases you have to get behind them to take them out or wait till their turret form. They're not too active. Uh, there's definitely a few times where I cleared out the enemies and like turned around and realized that Chicane was just chilling out, not doing anything. But if they go into turret mode, they can be almost as threatening as an enemy on a bigger turret. And once you get through here, you get yet another segment where Burns just wants to leave people behind. 
and you and Sam have to rush back to save a dude who's been hit in the leg, and they make a big deal out of it. As soon as you save the dude and the gate shuts behind you, and you open up a path forward, the guy you saved gets shot in the head. <laughs> yeah, it's really more to establish the fact that uh, Burns is kind of a dickhead. Yeah. yeah. You didn't really need more basis for that, but the game loves to throw it at you. Like, Robert Burns is not a good person. So, but it's weird too because the whole in most western games the marine thing is that like you don't leave your men behind you complete the mission and everyone comes home and it's this supposed to garner this communal feeling though you know maybe that's in part because they're trying to get people to join the marines because they're sponsored in some way or they believe in that Mm-hmm. That thing that they want to sell the people as an image, you know, much more patriotic. But this is a Japanese-developed game about Americans, so th- he's just going to be a huge dick about it instead. So this next segment, uh, I found a few more of the DLC weapons dropped. They're not really weighted in any specific way, but at this point, you've probably at least seen them. And that would be the disc launcher, boost machine gun, and the anti-armor pistol. I don't think the disc launcher is a DLC weapon. Yeah. Alright, well, in any case, I sort of put it alongside these specialized weapons. Uh, I didn't use the disc launcher much myself. Uh, no, I mean, because neither. I found it kind of weird to use, but apparently Phoenix is a huge fan. I love the disc launcher, but mostly because it reminds me of Destroy All Humans 2. And that had a fantastic disc launcher. But it is still <laughs> useful in its own right. Like, if you upgrade it enough, it can kind of bounce around enemies, which is kind of useful for clearing out the trash. But it's also a disc launcher. How could you not love that gun? It's also a melee weapon. We're saying disc, but it's just a giant circular saw. Yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. You can run up to people and literally just chainsaw them to death. It's, I love it. It's great. <laughs> yeah, so if you miss the chainsaw bayonet from Gears of War, well, now you have a circular saw gun that shoots the saw at people. It doesn't have a lot of ammo though, so and I am not a great shot, so it wasn't a good fit for me. Speaking of not a lot of ammo, the boost machine gun is kind of... It's weird. It's like the heavy machine gun, but the clip is tiny. You go through that thing in no time at all, but each shot does tons of damage. I tried to use the boost machine gun, but just the low amount of ammo and never really being able to upgrade it because of how scarce it seemed for me it just I, I ended up ditching it yeah in my last playthrough which I just I tried out casual auto mode I did try to stick with this gun for a while and it takes a long time for the upgrades for you to get it to have enough ammo where you don't feel like you're running out all the time mm-hmm. but when you're a little over halfway through the game one of the upgrades is that it can shoot through walls which sounds really good and i wish you know you could get that maybe a little earlier to set it apart yeah because otherwise it's just a slightly harder to use heavy machine gun and then there's the anti-armor pistol which i really really like it does a ton of damage per shot on casual difficulty it kills gorgies in one hit so that's definitely a weapon where it's just hold out it's like tap 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 i kill everyone yeah it's a really good one also hard to find ammo for yeah, it has a zoom function. I didn't think it needed something that powerful, but okay. I mean, I'm not opposed. Yeah. There's another mechanic I wanted to talk about uh, related to the ARS gauge, which is 
if you fire while you're boosting, you automatically go into slow motion. I can get why they did it, because it would be hard to aim, but also that drains your gauge really fast, and you can't, like we said, there's no upgrades to the suit. You can't make that last longer at all. It seems kind of limited in its application. Yeah. It seems better to move into a position where you can then just run and dodge freely. I never really fired while boosting that much, so it wasn't really a problem for me, but I could see why it might be a problem that it just does it automatically. I'd say my problem is that I never had an incentive to do it. Mm-hmm, yeah. And it's a shame, because there are cutscenes where you see Sam boosting or shooting something at high speed, and that looks cool. That looks like something I'd want to do, but the added slow motion kind of gets in the way of that. Because it seems more like a desperation maneuver than a precision one. Yeah. I kind of like to keep the slow motion and the boosting separate, just because one is for the sensation of speed and one is for precision. And it would be nice to feel like you're going fast while attacking. You really don't get that. Yeah. After this sequence, uh, there's a point where you have to get into a tunnel. Sam has some high explosives on the suit also that he just has, which he only uses for walls. You never use it on an enemy ever. <laughs> Just kind of a bummer, like not even in a QTE. Yeah. You place it, and then you just have to get far enough away and set off an explosion. I think you can set it off when you're close enough. You absolutely can. <laughs> it will just kill you. Yeah, it kills you instantly. Like, Elena will tell you when you're out of the way, so just wait for her to go ahead. But it also does work on enemies, so sequences where there are a lot of enemies and you have to place an explosive, you can do that and just get out and blast them all at once. But when you get into this tunnel... They also call in an APC with a railgun on it, and it just has to move slowly through this tunnel, and the APC can only fire its gun when you reach the end because the tunnel's unstable, so you have to defend it from these enemies called jellyfish. They are full of self-detonating mine robots, and they are also giant self-detonating mine robots. Yeah, those enemies are a real pain in the arse, and they never actually come up after that. Yeah, they're only here. I think we can all be glad of that, because they are utter bullet sponges. They're difficult to see in the darkness, even with all of their glowing lights on them. Mm-hmm. And by the time you actually get to them, chances are you'll have got through one and a half of them, and then a third one will explode on your APC. And there isn't really much of a way that you can prevent that. Yeah, it's really annoying. There's actually a comment on the blogs about the interface. I think it's kind of interesting. It shows up best here because it's so dark that like you only really have your interface and a little bit of light to go off of. So Takahiro Fuji, who did the design, said, There's a downside to the benefit of having such clearly defined outlines around images, and that's getting into a situation where the image starts looking bland. I wanted to do something to make sure this didn't happen in Vanquish, so I made sure to include elements like dirt and distortion, noise, and an abundance of optical effects to make the interface seem a bit blurred and out of focus. The images aren't totally clean, and in this section you can see like your interface sort of scratch and come in and out a bit. Not completely, but <laughs> it does seem like it's sort of losing perception, which sells the, the segment a bit better. It's not like a horror segment or something, but it is much more of a tense sequence. Yeah, it's done quite well, though. I think it's one of my general least favorite chapters there's worse in the game and we'll get to that but this one is not exactly a high point either and then the cannon ends up blowing up like a tiny bit of debris and burns is really impressed by that (laughs) but then you come out the other end uh and this next combat arena has 
not an entirely new enemy, but a variant on the Romanov called the Romanov F. F for flamethrower. Yeah, those ones are wild. I think that flamethrower kind of actually just overload your suit, like overheats it, and you can't use your boost. Yep. Which is really annoying. It's tough to get out of that situation then, because you can't get behind them. But that's balanced, because you can also kill them almost instantly. Flamethrowers need explosive fuel packs to work, and if you can get high up enough with like your boost in slow motion, you can shoot the exploding pack and blow them to hell. Yeah, at least there's that. Yeah, I never once did that in my first playthrough. It was a lot harder that way, and then they become almost a non-element once you figure that out. Yeah, I think I managed to do that by basically just taking the long way around them, staying out of the range of their flamethrower, and then just slide boosting around the back, then just using slow motion to shoot the fuel packs that way. And while it wasn't exactly the most graceful thing in the world, it definitely helped. Also in this segment, enemies come in not by teleporters, but through seismic drill saw transports. God, yeah, those things. These things are ridiculous designs. Yeah, they're amazing. They honestly remind me out of some something out of Broforce, which is very much the same idea, but without the source. <laughs> they're really silly, but, and they mostly only contain Gorgies. I think there are maybe a couple of Romanovs. And these look kind of dangerous, but as long as you stay away from them when they actually just, like, walk on. They don't do much else. Which is weird, it seems like you, you should be able to attack them, because you can blow up big transport ships that enemies are on before they come in, but not these, you can't do anything about them until they're all set up. And also, it kind of sucks, because most enemies you can hit when they're coming out of transports. These, the enemies aren't, like, active and shootable until they're activated, once the transport comes in. You can shoot them a little bit before they come out, but not too much. Mm -hmm. Once you clear this segment, you reach an elevator, and who is in sight but Professor Candide? Because, uh, wow, even with this outline, we skipped something. At the beginning, when Burns was explaining the mission, it cuts to a flashback with Sam and Elena getting communication from Professor Candide, who's telling them that the array that he designed is going to be used as a weapon and they're forcing him to work on it, and so he needs to be rescued. And so when Sam sees Candide, he, you know, sort of flips out and tries to rescue him, but there's too much gunfire, and then a bigger problem comes out. Ah, yes. This is sort of the first appearance of our big bad guy, Zaitsev, the leader of the Order of the Red Star, and he is great. But he is also inside... Well, looks very much like Sam's suit, but it has wings. It's got a jetpack, it's got wings, then you have a boss fight against the enemy, which is marked as Bogey. And this fight is actually not too bad. <laughs> it's really intense. He has some high power attacks, but the thing that his suit can't do is slow down time. And this is definitely where they really want you to focus on that, because you have no other advantages against Zaitsev. So he has lock-on laser weapons, which if you keep on the move, they're not too bad. You can hide behind cover. There's times where he'll say, aim carefully, and throw a floating mine at you. And if you don't shoot it in time, it'll spread explosives everywhere. Then he has 
the high power lasers, which I think this is an instant kill or near death. Yeah, it will definitely knock you into near death mode, if not outright kill you, I think. Once you lower his health enough, you get to do another QTE finisher. Yeah, that one is scripted to happen no matter what. It's a uh, classic platinum punch the hell out of them, QTE. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> I think I remember hearing that the thing Sam does where he just, like, turbocharges his fist. I heard there's a reference to an anime, but I just cannot remember which one. Could be quite a few. Yeah. That's the thing, like Fist of the North Star, where he punches people a million times. Yeah. It might also just be a reference to God Hand is also most likely. Yeah. That's why the hardest difficulty is called God Hard. Yeah. It also just lives up to its name, though. The first time I got the QT, I was actually trying to perform a melee attack on the boss. <laughs> so I thought... It was being reactive to what I was doing. So the next time uh, you fight this guy, I tried to do so many melee attacks and it did not work out for me. Oh god. After you do enough damage, Zaitsev is just a little impressed and flies off effortlessly with Candide in tow. Now Burns is pissed that Sam had a secret agenda to rescue the professor. Which I thought was kind of weird because I don't see what the big deal is. It's 100% in line with your goals of stopping them. Yeah, it is kind of one of those weird things where it doesn't make a lot of sense when you first hear it. But as you get later into the game, things start to click a bit more. Yeah, it does ultimately make sense, but it's weird that Sam doesn't find the strange right now. Yeah. But even still, he's a dick about it, so they're just mad at each other. Yeah, like, Sam could very easily just take that as Burns arbitrarily being a dick for the umpteenth time. And speaking of which, the boss had lock-on lasers, and you too can get those. There's a few guns in this arena, actually, you will have seen by now. Lock-on laser, the rocket launcher, and the LFE gun. The lock-on laser is great. I used it a whole bunch. It does exactly what it says. You point it at some targets, highlight a bunch, and press fire. It'll shoot the lasers up into the sky, and they'll come down on your enemies. Pretty interesting weapon, but I just... I never really managed to use it much. I think I ended up holding on to that for the most part. At first, it was one of the random guns I'd pick up in my third slot all the time. But eventually, I just kept it, because when there are a ton of enemies behind cover in the area, you can just paint them all with a laser fire and like hide again, and they'll all get taken out, because it mm -hmm. also does a lot of damage, it can kill a lot of enemies, and, well, a lot of basic enemies in one hit. It's almost useless against bosses and stronger enemies, but it's still pretty good. Then there's the rocket launcher, which is very straightforward, you just point, it'll build up a lock-on on an enemy, and then you just fire and it'll track them. It does a lot of damage, not much ammo, so I didn't use it very much. I just picked it up when it was convenient. I didn't particularly use it often. I just had better guns that I could use. Rocket launch is nice and all, but it's also kind of boring. I actually remember sticking with the rocket launcher for a surprisingly long time. Like, I upgraded that to a really weirdly ridiculous level, and I don't know why. How good does it get? I think every level up just increases the damage. Well, that's not really the problem. <laughs> no. I think a lot of the upgrades also, um, the lock-on becomes much quicker. 
by level 10, it's near instantaneous. So that is actually really useful. I mean, another high level technique with a rocket launcher is to just switch to it in the middle of firing another gun, and then it'll just instantly fire a rocket at whatever you're aiming at. Yeah. Which can help with damage output a lot. Like, I mean, we mentioned switching to the heavy machine gun from the assault rifle. This is even greater damage output. No messing with lock-ons or anything. Mm-hmm. And then there's the LFE gun. Its use is not totally apparent, though if you pause the game you can look at descriptions of the weapons. The purpose of this gun is expressly for shooting at enemies through cover. Yeah, because it just fires a big orb that goes through cover. It does a fair amount of damage, but if you just want to shoot at enemies, like, literally every gun is better for plane firing. Mm -hmm. So it's really only good for that purpose. Yeah. Which is pretty good, but like we mentioned, there are also a fair number of high-level techniques that just let you kind of get around cover. It is used in the speedrun, so it is definitely more efficient than some of those methods. Then you get on a high-speed transport. This section is really impressive. Yeah, I remember when I could actually get a chance to actually look around. It was breathtaking. It is. It looks so good. Most of the time I was just desperately trying not to die as I was getting shot at all sides by all of the other transports that are trying to take your transport out. Yeah, for this sequence, you have a bunch of turrets on board, a bunch of enemy light transports fly at you, which will carry some guys that will drop onto the transport, and then also smaller enemies called viewhounds, which are aircraft, which you'll probably want to shoot down using the turrets. They're not that hardy, you can actually even use your main weapons and save the turrets for the transports and just blow those up all at once. But most of the spectacle of this sequence is the colony. You see a whole bunch of urban areas and stuff, and it's really fleshed out. A lot more fleshed out than the sequence has to be, and those objects are not sort of facades in the distance. They're very present, and you're very close to them. The actual design of the colony was something that they had a really big struggle with. Like, it was such a problem that their current engine, which was at that point the Bayonetta engine, it was very much struggling to actually figure out how to make it work. They eventually had to settle on modeling the entire colony. Yeah. Because of that, they had to rebuild the engine from the ground up just to be able to handle all of the different models. But that kind of actually helped them in the end, because Platinum has a very crash and build style as they describe it, where if something isn't working, then they'll just throw out entire chunks of the level, some levels entirely gone, just if they don't like it, then they'll just strip it out and start new. I, I can see that would be very problematic, but I can also see why that might be good. You get less instances of, holy shit, they just gave up with this level, didn't they? For a game that's like six hours. Yeah, Vanquishers are five to six hours. Yeah, it's got a lot of detail put into it. Mm -hmm. There are sub-segments later on where maybe they could have done without it or done it differently yeah but stuff like this i think they made it all because they wanted to put it into a bigger game but they ended up keeping it and i think it ends up making the game look nice in a way that a game that was budgeted or like by design made to be this long wouldn't have looked like this probably would have taken place in a lot more tunnels yeah Naoki Katakai, who did the colony design for this, the specific details, said the visual look of the interior space and how it expands out has a very sci-fi vibe, as the next town or city could actually be above you. It is an impossible spectacle. And that is really sold here because above you actually changes during the sequence, 
since the transport sort of weaves around a circular track. This is definitely the point where they realize that they had to actually hammer home just how much of the colony they had modeled already. So here, have this fast moving section where you can see huge sections of the colony all around you. Yeah, at one point this ducking and weaving around this circular track results in another transport following alongside you. And the Gorgi is one of the details they have in world is that their presence prevents remote hacking, which is how Elena's opening doors and things for your team. She warns you that they're building up speed to ram your transport, so you have to kill all the enemies on board before that happens so she can direct the transport away. And both times I did the sequence, I had like two seconds remaining. I've never actually lost it. Uh, can you, or is it like really based on how far along you are? I'm almost certain you probably can fail it, but it does a good job of making it feel like you're constantly on the verge of just losing it, which I think is good. It builds a lot of tension. Yeah, but at one point the transport derails and a bunch of enemies start swarming around you. Burns says, shoot if you see so much as a fucking Roomba, written in caps. Like, after the eBay thing, it's just weird that there's these brand name drops in the game. And yeah, you're surrounded at this point. It's hard to not get hit here. I think if you are trying to do this theoretical no-cover run, this is definitely a place where that's extremely difficult, because you can't really go anywhere. <laughs> there are a bunch of weapons on board the craft. You can kind of hide behind the weapon containers. Yeah, I don't see why you would just not use cover here. <laughs> Once you defeat enough enemies, you get another quick time event where there's another transport coming up on you. So Sam asks Elena to remove the limiter on his suit, and Sam runs at super speed and jumps up on this transport. And before he throws the Gorgi piling it out, he shouts, like, You're last year's model? <laughs> that scene is so ridiculous. Yeah, he sounds really angry about it, too. <laughs> that was pretty good. I didn't actually notice him saying that my first time through, but when I, I replayed and like, watched some footage, yeah. yeah, he says that. From what I remember, it's really weird, because I don't think it's actually subtitled. Nope. It's just played like one of his lines that he says, like, whenever you pick up a gun or something. It's not what I was after, but it'll be. Ah, <laughs> oh, my favorite line in the game. I, I love that line, <laughs> which is good, because you yeah. just hear it constantly. Then the transport starts moving again with Burns on board and it appears to crash. It gets played up a little bit, but obviously like to a degree that you would be like, nah, he's not dead. Mm -hmm. Nope, they didn't make a big enough deal about it. And then you get to a sequence that's sort of like a turret sequence, where Elena hacks the transport turrets so that when you pull up your weapon sights, they'll shoot at whatever you're shooting at, but you can still take cover and move around, which I kind of like, actually, especially because the transport shots are so strong. Yeah, that bit's really interesting, and it's also really interesting because that never comes up again. Yeah, hacking light transport seems really useful. The transport passes by some marines on some of their own flying transports, say. There's a big fight happening at the airport. And Sam asks Elena to redirect because he wants a piece of the action. I mean, okay. Yeah. I thought you were trying to save the professor against everyone's wishes. You work out your grief however you want, Belle. <laughs> you fly by there, and there's like an Argus hanging out, and shoots Sam's transport out of the sky, and he hits the ground really hard. And Elena freaks out that Sam is dead. 
first of all, another like fake out death thing. Like I don't think he's dead. I don't think anyone playing thinks he's dead. No. And doesn't Elena have like a vitals readout or something to say that he's clearly alive? Yeah. Of all the remote things. He also has one on his suit. Uh, it's weird. They do this a couple of times later and it's just... I kind of get why they do it. Like, it's to show just how much punishment the suit can take, but there's definitely more elegant ways of mm-hmm. handling that. Every other chapter just, oh no, the main character's dead. Like, of course the main character's not fucking dead. Who are we going to play as? Burns? <laughs> Turns out Zeitsev was a protagonist all along. <laughs> I'd love to have a jetpack, but yeah, you can talk about it later. <laughs> so in this area, there are little spear things that roll at you. Well, they don't actually roll on the ground. They pick up speed in midair and ram you, but they fold out into turrets. and They're called like A2 spheres. There are not a lot of these in the game. They're a little bit annoying, but there's just so few of them. I sure killed a couple of them. Yeah. They're kind of fun to kick around because they're basically beach balls. I I never really actually tried melee on them. I should have. <laughs> and when you go into the next hall, a door shuts behind you and a bunch of enemies come in. Elena shouts, it's a trap, and Sam says, thanks for the update, Admiral. Oh god, yeah. It's just so weirdly out of place. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, an Admiral Akbar reference. Like, this is the second time the game approaches being clever. Because it's like a reference, but it's not direct. They thought it was kind of funny, but <laughs> along with the eBay and Roomba stuff. I think this was going around as like a meme at the time, maybe. I mean, that's been a meme since basically the internet began, really. It, it's such a popular thing. Yeah, and this like, for a trap, it's really not that hard at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he passed through here, though. And there's the Argus at the airport, the transformed one. And also a pre-transformed Argus. Oh, God, yeah. And as you pull up in here, Burns comes in and transport. Oh, my God, he's alive. Wow. Oh, amazing. What a surprise. But then you get to fight two of them at the same time. And it's surprisingly forgiving boss fight. Mm-hmm. Because they don't really focus on you at the same time. And the pre-transformed one doesn't transform when you kill it. There is an achievement for uh, killing both of them. While they're transformed. Oh, there is? It doesn't transform unless you fuck up the quicktime event. So you have to specifically fuck up the quicktime event and then kill both of them to get the achievement. It's really odd. It's not massively difficult. This game does have destructible cover, but not a lot. Mostly it's stuff that isn't like sandbags. Stuff like walls and pillars. Especially during this fight. This is the case where you'll have to stay on the move the most because... Projectiles will smash all the cover you hide behind. Yeah. The pre-transformed spider tank mode one, once you lower its health enough, the QTE you get has Sam dodging around, but then you just have to aim your gun at its weak point and fire, and it'll just do a ton of damage, and it's presented differently from when you do it in slow motion yourself. Mm-hmm. If you just do this correctly and slam on the fire button a lot, you'll kill it. It won't transform. Then, against the transformed one, uh, Sam will run up its whole body and punch it in the face repeatedly until its head explodes. Oh god, doesn't he just do a load of punches then actually end it with an uppercut like it's Rock'em Sock'em Robots? Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that bit. Also, I forgot about the pre-transformed one. Before you do the shooting, he jumps on top of it and then he does like a ballerina spin. <laughs> really fast 
so that he drills through. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> so ridiculous. You can definitely tell that the animators were just having so much fun with those QTEs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So ultimately it's a pretty merciful boss fight. I don't think I've gotten a critical health even my first playthrough. You definitely have to be careful still. There's no fight in this game where I think you can just flagrantly go into it without worrying about taking damage, but there are also not too many that I think are outright hard. So you get words that there are colony resistance forces holding out at an area called Grand Hill. Sam asks if it's uh, tactically significant, and Burns freaks out. He's like, did I teach you those words at DARPA Pansy Academy? <laughs> He's really mad about Sam having an education. <laughs> Burns is fantastic, and you can tell that Stephen Bloom was having a fair amount of fun doing his lines because he just puts on his most gravelly voice possible. Mm-hmm. He says all of these very silly lines, chews the scenery completely, and it's it's just such a fun time. One of my favorite Burns lines I mentioned earlier is actually during the uh, tunnel level because right at the end, the APC or escorting for the whole mission has a railgun on it and just right at the end he just fucking says let's shove some tungsten up this tunnel's ass yes (laughs) (laughs) fucking wiener yeah Stephen Bloom or Bloom also voices Wolverine but he's even more gravelly here I'm pretty sure the voice directors just said, no, no, more gravel. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas Sam Gideon is voiced by Gideon Emery. He is also fairly gravelly, but he does not even come close to Stephen Bloom, no matter how hard he tries. More smug gravelly. Yeah. It's this weird mixture of kind of smarmy, but also incredibly gravelly. (laughs) It's kind of to the point where... Even Shinji Mikami made a very short blog post saying, I love the voice actor of Sam Gideon, he is great. <laughs> oh yeah, it's like his voice is so like smoky and cool, I think you'll like it a lot. Yeah. But he really likes Gideon Emery's voice. It's one of the few blog posts that he actually did himself, mm-hmm. and it's just this very short, very succinct thing saying, I like this voice and you will too. Yeah. Which, uh... Uh, uh, sure. <laughs> also, I mean, it's definitely one to talk about not being clever. Like, you just expect Sam and Burns to just start talking about how not gay they are. Yes. <laughs> it's so macho. So yeah, unbelievably macho. Honestly, for all the just weird, vaguely out of place cultural references in the game, I'm surprised none of them ever say no homo, honestly. Yeah, it's it's... I can see why, like, someone might bounce off of it. And, I mean, even I, to a degree, was kind of like, okay, that's enough. But it is entertaining in a sort of just overblown nonsense kind of way. And, I mean, these are Japanese developers who are deciding this is what Americans sound like versus, you know, Call of Duty or Gears of War or something, where that grit is somewhat tempered because they want it to feel dramatic. Mm-hmm. So then you get to the Grand Hill sequence, uh, and this is definitely one of the more difficult and lengthy gunfights. Literally, it's an uphill battle. The enemy's dug in, and this is where I got a lot of use of a walk-on laser, because you can just aim at everyone sort of vaguely and thin them out before proceeding. If you don't have it, then it's pretty tough. You'll have to move forward a lot of times under heavy fire and try to take cover. 
right up against enemies sometimes. It's really rough. I remember dying there so many times in my very hard run. This is definitely one of the moments where the shotgun really shines though, because it is just so excellent for hit and run tactics. You run out, you shoot anything that tries to shoot you back, you dive into the next bit of cover, just rinse and repeat, and the game knows that because it gives you a ton of shotgun weapon drops. Well, I mean, a lot of the enemies are using them also. Very much capitalizes on the close quarter combat, and it kind of says, Hey, hey, is this shotgun? How how do you like shotguns, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I use the shotgun a fair bit here too. This area is also a good mix because there are the wide open areas, but to open like gates to proceed forward, you enter like a smaller, more enclosed space where you're in really tight close quarters combat with enemies. The indoor places are probably more lethal than the outdoor areas too, because the enemies are all packing heavy weapons and. Outdoors, there are marines with you. Indoors, you go in alone. It's one seamless sequence, too. They don't really draw attention to it. And when you get to the next outdoor segment, a giant tower gets knocked down and starts rolling down the hill. There's a ton of debris and smoke here. The beginning showed it off pretty well, but here is where it's everywhere. And the game's still holding up and like moving pretty quickly. And you have to because you don't want to get hit by any of the debris flying down the hill. Quote by uh, Takeo Kido, who's in charge of doing these environmental like particle effects and stuff, said, Even when I'm watching a movie, I will say, That's some nice debris. <laughs> of course, those around me will say, I have no idea why you're talking about debris. But I'm living my job, so I see nothing wrong with it. There's a man with this outlook on life that was in charge of the debris in this game. Mm -hmm. You should hope everyone likes their job this much. I know. That they weird out their friends and family. Just being so into your strangely specific job. Once you get to the top of the hill, you encounter a new enemy, which is cool, but I hate them. Hate them. It's called a Bia, and it's a weird... Half tiger, half wizard man, pouncing laser staff using machine. Oh god, yeah, those things. Yeah, they're really fast. The whole get behind them thing is a lot more dicey. I used a lot of EMP emitters to stun them. Yeah, that's, that's a fair way to do it. Once you clear these guys out, you find the jamming transmitter that's stopping you from calling in support. The transmitter has giant lasers on it. It's like a laser merry-go-round with anti-air turrets on it. So you have to wait for a weak point to open up and then shoot it while it's charging its laser and then after it fires it, it's pretty intense. Because also, between all the times the laser's not firing, lots of Romanovs come out. There are a lot. This has probably the highest density of them in the game. Mm -hmm. Once you blow up the transmitter, though, you get another cutscene. And it's not of your characters, it's President Winters in a boardroom by herself. It's a call. And oh, look, it's everybody's best friend, Zaitsev, including the president, apparently, because they've been working together. But this whole thing wasn't really in the plan. Zaitsev was being given funds and backing by Winters in private, kind of like. Okay, if your order of the Red Star kind of takes over the country, I'll support you, yada yada yada. Zaitsev does all that, and then he decides, you know what? 
I think I'm gonna wipe San Francisco off the map as well. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> yeah, mutual exploitation is what their partnership was, and he just exploited yeah. her first. So, even with a new franchise, Shinji Mikami still makes President Evil. Well, I think that's a good time to call this podcast. Have fun, guys. I'm <laughs> leaving. I, I thought of this like two weeks ago. We, we thought the darkness was outside, but really, the evil was within. <laughs> oh, look, now you're in on it, too. Yeah, but after this scene, Winter's just angry and it cuts back to gameplay. This next sequence introduces two new enemies. First, you fight a variation of the Gorgi called the USG, and these have boosters on them. And try to surround you a whole lot. And if you weren't using boost to try and take them down before, you're probably gonna need it at this point. Mm -hmm. I could not hit these things very easily, regular speed. Also, there's a grilling version of the Romanov called the Romanov D. D for drill. <laughs> I can't actually remember them that well. Yeah, they're not a lot. I don't think they have much special to them outside of they have a drill and they can whack you with it. Well, they also drill underground. Yeah. Which can be really annoying because you just have to get away, you can't be near them when they pop back up. Mm -hmm. On top of all this, then another enemy breaks through the wall. Remember how they were saw drill transports? Now there's a buzzsaw tank. And it's just called tank. <laughs> it's called tank. Bust through a wall and you can't be near this thing or you'll get sawed. They're not too bad, their weak points are pretty easy to hit but you have to constantly stay on the move because these things keep moving, they have guns on them and the saws. And then there's also some floating platform things with guns on them called air gatlings you fight, which have a Gorgi piloting them. Mm -hmm. And you can either shoot down the platform or the Gorgi, but what's only special about these things is that they fire really, really fast. Mm -hmm. So you can't ignore them and you can't really outmaneuver them either. You really have to take them out from far away without getting close. Which does slow things down a bit. After you clear that section, you reach a road, and you see a giant warship, which Burns identifies as a Creon, which is just a huge warship with a ton of guns on it. I guess they see Sam and Burns together, and they're like, well, we gotta take care of this. So this giant warship blows up the road you're on. <laughs> I just absolutely have to stress how gigantic the Creon is. Like, it's the size of a proper, like a proper battleship, but it is hovering in the colony, yeah. just stock still. Yeah. It is fantastic. I just love the sense of scale that it has. <laughs> I think the best way to sum it up is the Creon is so big, it is literally its own level. Yes. <laughs> when I say it blows up the road, the road starts collapsing after it gets shot. So you're in a segment where you have to get through certain portions of the road before they fall into an abyss. Which is weird, because later you'll find that Sam has, like, jets on his suit that can let him fly a bit. So I really don't know why falling would do you, because it's the only place where you could fall and die. But, I mean, Metal Gear Rising had a part where you could fall and die too, and that's revealed later in a cutscene in that one that Raiden can survive incredibly long falls and not die. Mm -hmm. He can survive the fall and then not die. <laughs> it's what I just said. <laughs> it just makes you go, you know, move ahead at a decent pace without focusing too much on killing every last enemy in front of you. They do put up a fair amount of resistance, but it's to get you to just 
push on. Like, I think in a lot of ways your first playthrough of Vanquish is going to try and teach you some things for your second. And in this case, it's that you don't need to kill everything that's in your way, even if it's in a good position to hit you. Just keep moving. Mm -hmm. And once the road collapses behind you, Burns and everyone want to wait on a transport to go on ahead. But Sam wants to take the monorail. Sam is an idiot. So how about in this game where you can jet around at high speeds, you do a stealth sniping sequence. Oh, god, that part. My least favorite part of the game right here. Yeah, I describe the tunnel chapter as one of my least favorite chapters, but I must have just struck that out of my mind. For very good reason. At this part, you have to shoot searchlights before the monorail reaches them and to do that you have to pick up one of the sniper rifles on board which is a special silenced sniper rifle and you have to shoot the lights out before you get too close if you do get caught then the enemies will just like open up on you and damage the monorail if the monorail takes too much damage uh, it explodes and you die instantly mm -hmm. i mean okay, it's not that bad to play it's just not that exciting like completely against the tone of the rest of the game i mean if at least it was a sequence where you moved on your own and had to take some stuff out from long range before fighting other things in close range, that could work. Mm -hmm. But just being on the slow-moving thing... Yeah, just being put literally on rails is just... Yeah, like, probably the one redeeming feature of this whole section is that it's pretty much the one time that you see the colony at night. And that's really cool, because you get a chance... Yeah. When you're kind of in a lull between the shooting sections, you can just look out over the colony, and it, it looks really good. But why mm -hmm. does it have to yeah. be at that point? Oh, I know. <laughs> Being on the ground at night would be even cooler. Yeah. Maybe something where you move building to building, like on the rooftops, that would be There's cool. like one other section where it's at night, and that's when you're going through the big monument in the city center, and you're just dashing through all of what's basically the market when the colony was still a thing, and not taken over by horrible robots. Yeah. Also, um... Chivo talk. There is a achievement in the stealth sniping section for finishing it without getting caught once. Mm. And I think it's called something along the lines of No, that's the other Sam. <sighs> Great. That's kind of confusing because there's one point where a warship called the Buzzard shows up partway through and it kind of finds you no matter what. And this thing specifically is okay to shoot with your regular unsilenced guns, mm -hmm. which I didn't know, so I wasted all my silenced sniper rifle bullets oh, trying to God. kill it, and it just did a ton of damage to the monorail. But yeah, you can just blow this thing up with regular guns, then switch back to sniping. You only have to stealth snipe the searchlights. Mm -hmm. This takes you up to the Creon. Even once you kill all the enemies, there's just a sort of segment afterwards where you come out of the tunnel and... You're just kind of slowly waiting on the monorail to get to the other end, which they really could have cut out. Just like transition to a cutscene to show them at the end of it earlier. Then you land near where the Creon is, and you need to protect a railgun team, led by a soldier marked as S. Mikami. So yeah, you have to protect the game's director from being killed by all the enemies. And this is pretty much a turret sequence. There are a few turrets here, there's nothing else to use them on. This one also kind of drags, because you can kill all the enemies and still like have to wait for more to come out. Mm -hmm. And then to proceed through past the Creon, you have to shoot its legs when it lifts them up to like walk by. 
it hovers, but it also has legs to walk with. And if you're close by, then the heat will overheat your suit. And there are segments where it's outputting so much heat that it overheats you the whole time you're near it. Which is tough for this segment, because the Creon is huge, as we mentioned, and it has huge storage areas where a ton of robots hide. So as you're running alongside it, these things pop open and everybody ever shoots you. Mm-hmm. This is the part I was talking about where I imagine it's probably best to get um old Lang Syne achievement for yeah. killing ten enemies distracted by a single cigarette, but even then it's just difficult. Also probably where the explanation I think of for why the cigarette, like the robots would just see like a heat source flicking by and aim for that. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much fire that your suit is overheating all the time. Yeah. How are they going to see a single cigarette? Once you complete the sequence, the railgun team blows a hole in the Creon. And then Sam uses like a wire gun to grapple hook his way in. Which, that seems really cool, and also something I would want to use in a sequel. Plus with a booster? Are you kidding? Yeah. That would definitely be something that I would love to see in Vanquish 2, simply because I'm a sucker for more mobility. Just give me all of the options to traverse a level, yes please. <laughs> but he just uses it to fly into the Creon. And then you get on another monorail? <laughs> this whole section just very much feels like a Friday afternoon development process like okay we're at this stretch of the game there's this huge warship what do we do between those monorails considered a forced stealth section the only thing they really do with this and i think the reason they did do it is so that you can see this like a mass of scrap skitter off screen which is a little bit like oh wait the hell was that but you find out immediately because once you reach the end of the monorail an enemy attacks you called unknown not that you don't know its name it's called unknown (laughs) this is a funny enemy i kind of like it yeah it's a very interesting enemy it's also that kind of enemy it's a shinji mikami game staple of having an enemy that can kill you in one hit yeah this guy can be very troublesome your first time through especially if you don't know that he has the instant kill grab because it's like oh this guy's going to oh no oh no oh god i'm dead (laughs) no he's just like standing there Uh, oh no that's fine (laughs) yeah it's to give me time to get out of the way not to shoot (laughs) it thankfully it's like one of the only enemies that has that yeah i think it's the only enemy that has that i think there are other enemies who technically have it but you can at least do something against that it's not super unfair and like i actually didn't know it had an instant kill grab the first time i played i don't know if i did either but the problem is like as soon as i figure out an enemy has an instant kill attack i just become so agitated while fighting it it does change sort of how you approach the fight mm-hmm well, I think this is also a good time to bring up another quote. Ipe Shiraki did the sound design for this game. He mentioned, like, for creatures that are quote-unquote alive, you tend to create sounds by putting effects and changing up existing animal sounds. But in Vanquish, I relied heavily on synthesizers to create something completely different. One of the members of our sound design team really loves synthesizers, so I was able to hand off quite a bit of the enemy's sound design duties to him. LOL. <laughs> That was almost professional. (laughs) So close. I think that sums up a lot of Platinum games, though. Almost professional. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. Like the enemies all have a sort of personality that's presented through the sounds they make and unknown sounds and like looks kind of like if you made one of those sort of like blobbier monstrosities from Resident Evil into like a robot form, that's what unknown kind of seems like when it's got all its pieces. Then when you expose its core and blow all the pieces off, the core is just like a giant orb head and has the tiniest pipe cleaner arms and legs and it just runs around like a doofus trying to recollect its parts while you shoot it. And then it sounds really silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's basically screaming for its life as it's running around trying not to get shot by you and it's hilarious. Especially if you're having trouble with the boss and you just get to that part. Because it completely deflates any tension that you might have against it. Just like, what is this? <laughs> it's great. It's also kind of fun to smack it about with melee. For sure. It's also a good time to mention the last weapon. You can get it really early, like everything, like you can get these at different times. This is the last DLC weapon, and it is the best one. It just is the best gun. <laughs> it's called the laser cannon, and it doesn't have ammunition it's powered by your ars gauge does a ton of damage since it doesn't ever have not full ammo every pickup gives it an upgrade or progress towards an upgrade it's just such a good weapon it was genuinely the thing that got me through a very hard mode it takes a bit of getting used to because it works just like your boost or stopping time where you know you use it too much and you're going to overheating. But once you get the sort of timing on letting go of the trigger before you've run out down, it's just such a good weapon because it just does so much damage. It also has to spin up a bit before you can fire it. Mm -hmm. That's not a big deal. I think I did try, like, let's just see how much I can drain my gauge. And if you try to boost and shoot where it automatically goes into slow motion with the laser cannon, you can do it for two seconds. Yeah. It's even worse on very hard mode, by the way, because the thing about the increased difficulties is the higher your difficulty goes, the less ARS time you have, which means less boosting and less time slowing. Yeah, but I mentioned the laser now because it is really effective against the unknown. Yeah. Like, it just trashes the thing. That's probably why I didn't have to worry about the instant kill attack, because it just does so much damage and breaks it apart easily. Dead immediately. It's really powerful. And then you get to the core of the Creon, well, the, the outer core, where it's cycling energy, so you have to time your passage through so that it's not cycling, otherwise you'll be vaporized, which is not so bad. It encourages you to move forward, but then again, yeah, there's not much of a rush mm-hmm. because most of the enemies in this area are these little things called spy bits, which are barely a thing. <laughs> I mean, they are supposed to mostly be cameras, but they're just a little, little annoying things. Yeah. Once you get through here, you take an elevator up and you get to see a fun sequence. There's a chicane in cover form. But it's not being cover, it's being a boombox, and it's playing <laughs> disco music, and then you see the corgis dancing to it. That is one of my favorite moments of the game right now. I, I love that that's just a thing that you come across. It just comes completely out of nowhere. You have no reason to suspect that it's actually coming. It's gone almost as quickly because you can just shoot them all to pieces if you feel like it. It's just 
brilliant. I love it. Once you kill them, then you just see a bunch of random junk fall from the ceiling slowly. And it makes like the most comical cartoon person knocked a bunch of stuff over noises. But then an unknown core falls in and forms around all the junk, and you fight another one. This fight goes kind of exactly like the last one, actually. Mm. It's kind of weird, too, because there's going to be one more fight. They're all really close together. After you defeat it, then you can get to the core. And all you can do with this section is the QTE that will destroy the core. But there's also a turret behind it. And you can just shoot at transports for a bit if you want. But there's no reason to. <laughs> I feel like they had something in here originally that they took out because there's no point to using the turret. Just go up to the core and then press the button and Sam will... We have to mash buttons, but Sam will rip the cables out of the core and then make his escape automatically, and Creon's done for. Goodbye, Creon. You are fantastic while you lasted, which was not very long. I mean, a bigger game might make you do that multiple times with the cores, and I'm glad they didn't. But it does also feel sort of like, oh, okay, you fought one unknown, and then you fought one unknown again, and then you did a QTE, and it was done. Yeah. They still have some good tricks, but this part of the game is definitely weirdly slow in terms of new things. Yeah. The transport Sam escapes on makes his way to a nature preserve, which is a really nice change of pace. Plus you have to work with the unusual shapes of the cover because you're using trees and the like. It's a really interesting area because it's very different just visually from the other areas because there's just so much green. Yeah. You have to reach an elevator and this is the only segment where there are endlessly respawning foes, and it actually matters, because there are parts where they do endlessly respawn, but it's sort of like a non-element, they're really distant or whatever. But here, you can just hang out outside the elevator as long as you want, and as long as you can put up with Elena and Burns telling you to get in the elevator, just fight people as long as you want. Actually, trying to remember if they're completely infinitely respawning, because I swear I remember there being an achievement for just camping out there and killing the enemies until they start respawning. I think there's one for killing a bunch of yeah. them, but I don't know that they completely go away. I swear it's called something like Remember the Alamo or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once you get to the elevator, there's some guys that get left behind again, and there's a, another fight with Sam and Burns about it. It doesn't seem to really go anywhere. It's just they're really full-time when you're on the elevator up, I guess. Yeah. And then once you get to the top of the elevator, like the buzzer, the thing that attacked you on the monorail, you fight another one here, and it's also very easy. It lands, which is kind of cool because it has a land form. But by the time it's landed, you've taken off most of its health, and you'll probably kill it in a couple more seconds. It's really not much of a thing. Which is kind of a waste because you go to a damn control room and pass through, and there's an Argus core there. And this fight takes longer than the buzzard mini-boss fight, but you've already fought these things. <laughs> The only reason this one's any different is because the cover here is really sparse and spaced out. Yeah. So you can't really hide. Some of the cover in previous fights, you were above it or you had some like really tall column to hide behind. All the cover here is waste level, so it will only really help you if you're far away. I remember that Argus fight and that one was something. It's harder, but not necessarily more engaging. Mm -hmm. You know what to do, but it just feels like it takes longer. And then you get more of an interesting boss fight afterwards because this enemy shows up called the Crystal Viper, which is not a viper. It is crystal. It's shaped like a person. 
Kind of looks like a silver surfer. What's special about the Crystal Viper is it has energy weapon resistant armor. So also if you were leaning on the laser cannon then... I find it strange that they would specifically program in an enemy who is laser resistant. Because I think there's only like two laser based weapons, maybe three? Anti-energy weapons, so the lock-on laser, the LFE gun, and the laser cannon. Yeah, it just seems so strange for them to program that specifically for what is in the base game, two weapons. Yeah, I mean, especially because why would you use the LFE gun against this thing? It's just so strange. Why would you use the LFE gun? And also the lock-on laser, honestly, because that's not really effective against single targets. No. And this also has a QTE where it'll, like, rush at you with its blade arms extended. You can't really dodge it, so that's how you'll know it's coming, is that it just sort of comes at you inevitably. I think I only succeeded at this once, but you'll do, like, some dodges and counterattack at it. If you don't, you take a fair bit of damage, so you can survive screwing it up, but it is kind of annoying that you can't just find a way to opt out. It has a really weird QTE, too. Yeah, the timing's not quite what you think. But I, I remember it has a very specifically strange one, which I think might be a different attack, where you have, like, a bar that you have to just press it at the exact right moment, and you never see any other enemy with that kind of QTE, and it's just so strange. Yeah, but when you kill this thing... It's apparently so powerful that it explodes and blows a hole in the colony. So you have to suddenly retreat to a shelter area. But this is actually kind of neat because this area has like zero gravity. So you move along a not flat axis and there's tons of floating debris and stuff, which actually does work as cover a bit. Yeah, this area in general reminds me a lot of Ratchet and Clank actually, because one of their main gimmicks, which has been in this area since first game pretty much is the gravity boots where you go on a, basically a circular or curving plane and you're able to walk completely freely so you're basically just walking on the ceiling or on the walls and it's a lot of fun. And in this segment you encounter another unknown. This is the last one and this one's interesting because you have teammates with you and it's in a more enclosed space. Since you're now fighting the unknown, but sometimes it's not attacking you, it's even easier. But then once you reach the shelter, Burns shuts the blast doors before all his men are in, because it'll seal off the colony, and this is like the last time they get into an argument about leaving people behind. Sam goes on ahead, and then Winters calls Burns, and they talk about using this colony laser as a lifeline to end the recession. I see why they put this in, because there was a recession. You, you just shoot the recession. <laughs> you just shoot the recession and it's done. Capitalism's so easy. I can't believe Senator Armstrong was right all along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole recession thing, that was a thing that was happening around the time Vanquish came out. And it only happened more... And now it's like a weird plot point to see, because you know where it's coming from culturally, but it's a game set in the future. Not that there wouldn't be another recession in the future, but it feels of its time. Like Metal Gear Solid 2, when they mentioned every dot-com has its own Metal Gear. <laughs> Sam proceeds onwards, and he finds Professor Candide, who, like, really worried about him, like, who he's been working with. And, you know, Sam's trying to comfort him and tell him that, you know, it's just game here to rescue him. And then Candy gets shot a lot. All the bullets ever find their way into Candy. <laughs> and Sam turns around 
And Burns has used his Gatling gun arm to annihilate Professor Candy. This is kind of the point where you really start to figure out, oh wait, the dickhead was really a dickhead. <laughs> Turns out the guy who's just very grumpy and very eager to leave absolutely everyone he can behind is kind of fucking jerk. <laughs> Who would have known? And he then explains that they're going to end the recession by kickstarting the economy by blowing up Moscow with the colony laser, creating a war stimulus, which was the plot of Metal Gear Solid 4. Kind of. Not the lasers. It's actually just kind of the plot of a lot of Metal Gear games. <laughs> Sam mentions that, oh, you destroyed the targeting computer by shooting trillion bullets at the computer Candide was using. And then Burns says, oh no, well, I've got people who are going to manually move the cannon over <laughs> Moscow and fire it. Just take the cannon and fucking put it. <laughs> oh god, now I've just got the image in my head of... Burns directing a bunch of astronauts just in space, actually pushing the the colony. Just no, no, a little more to the left. There you go. Okay, now get it out of the way. Nope, that's Vladivostok. <laughs> oh, God. So even when it comes to aiming a giant cannon, Burns is still the most Burns about it. It's a weird thing for me when Candide died, because Professor Candide is sort of a... This is a, a weird tangent to go on, but I've played a lot of mid budget mid-level quality ps2 games and professor candide is every professor from a ps2 game yeah ever they all look and sound like him yeah but when the ps3 came around that kind of character faded out for snarky 20 somethings and more characters like elena (laughs) yeah and also really cool old dudes instead of weird nerds like candy (laughs) but yeah so this is the only hd ps2 professor and now he's dead. Symbolic. It's not like fairly common either for either characters to die, or if they do, not so hardcore. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. I have some fondness for, for Candy for that reason. And pretty much only that, because Sam also does not care a whole lot that Candy died. So, you get into a boss fight, because uh, in addition to Burns having a machine gun arm, he has a giant shield and boosters on his boots. Bootsters. He takes off and gets on a transport, and he has a whole bunch of marines who also have boosters fly out. Like, everyone can fly but you. <laughs> and now you get into a fight against actual human beings. Not super different from Gorgies. They do a lot more damage, though. Yeah, they do a lot more damage, and they bleed when you hit them. They're still vulnerable to EMP emitters, because it disables their equipment. Yeah, it's kind of unsettling really (laughs) when you kill them they don't really make any noise a lot like the robots but they do bleed yeah they explode it's a very different style of enemy very late in the game and it's like oh god and it calls back to the very opening of the game which was also strangely brutal and it kind of makes you wonder (laughs) what could have been if they'd gone completely in this direction yeah because fighting the robots says not much brutality to it. Binary Domain makes a big deal out of it, so even if you blow off a robot's parts, it has like a sort of desperation to it. These are just kind of silly. It's like, oh, look, I knocked its head off or whatever. They're more of a vector for you feeling cool, and with the Marines, since they're jerks, you don't feel 
bad necessarily, but it's still kind of jarring after the whole game of just shooting dustbins. Now you're shooting actual people. Suddenly, like blowing their head off is really different because it just explodes like a tomato. Through this whole segment, you're chasing Burns. You get on your own hovercraft to chase him down. And at one point, his hovercraft rams yours, and so you have to do a quick time event to avoid falling off completely. And this is just a predecessor to the real boss fight. You can shoot him and damage his health bar this whole time, but you're really building up to when you reach the control room. And this is where you fight Burns in an arena for real. He has a constant stream of marines coming in. He also has his own weapons and shield. And he can also fire his fist at you to get at you from behind cover. It's very different from the other boss fights, I feel, because it's fairly straightforward and but also just quite interesting. Because Burns doesn't really have much special to him. He's, he's big, he has boosters, and he has a minigun. But because of that, he's actually quite special, because if an enemy has been about your size, they usually have something special to them if they're, like, a boss. But Burns is pretty standard, but still manages to be quite difficult. It very much feels like he kind of belongs in a more standard third-person shooter, like, he is the big guy with the minigun, and it's very strange to see him in Vanquish. <laughs> yeah, I can see your point on that. I mean, I think maybe it sets himself apart because he's really difficult. I mean, we talked about the fight with uh, Bogey by himself. Zaitsev wasn't so bad as a boss fight, but this one, I mean, in addition to all the marine streaming, like, Burns, even on his own, is just really tough. You can't do much to stun him. The EMP emitters are precious during this fight mm -hmm. for if you can get into a good position to take them down. But also all those concerns about blowing people's heads off seem kind of weird here because, yeah, you're probably going to aim most of your shots dead center on Burns' forehead and he'll be okay. Yeah, he's fine. He's tough. Well, when you defeat him, he's one of those, I decided, hey, you're right because you beat me. So he guards the control panel and uses a device on his arm to blow himself up taking all the other marines and stuff with him. And then Sam's on a lengthy walkway to the core of the colony when he's attacked by uh, Zaitsev. And then another blue bogey suit appears and also attacks and blows up the walkway. Sam demonstrates his suit can like hover and fly, kind of, to avoid falling to his death. And then he gets his way back up to the core and this is when Zaitsev reveals that President Winters supported the coup in Russia. And has one of those speeches about, you think your ideals are good, but actually they're not good. <laughs> you know what's good? My ideals. The, the speech that every Metal Gear boss has, basically. The more I think about it, the more I see a lot of similarities between this game and Metal Gear Rising. Yeah. Though the weird thing is, in that one, Raiden had like a reputation, which is what made people question him. But what does Zaitsev know about Sam? <laughs> he just got shot at a lot once. And it's like, oh, also, that suit's really cool. I think I'm going to copy it, but I'm going to put a jetpack on it instead. Yeah. Like, oh, your ideals. What ideals? What are Sam's ideals? I hardly know, and I've been playing as him this whole time. <laughs> Sam hasn't really shown himself to have 
very specific ideals beyond like wanting a piece of the action yeah beyond like you know ditching people when we could save them is kind of shitty so it says he has an army of robots so that's not even like a thing <laughs> i don't know whatever <laughs> anyways the two bogey units appear and this is the final boss oh god <laughs> yeah this is a definite wall this is where i died the most Quite fittingly, it is the hardest fight in the game. It's a hell of a time on very hard mode, let me tell you. I can imagine. <laughs> you are just constantly on your feet, constantly just almost dead, because they never quite stop. There's never really a gap in their attacks. It's it's rough. I, I died so many times on that fight on very hard mode. I think I died quite a few times there on, like normal but oh yeah i sure did there was a point because this fight is just so intense where after i had lost i actually had to stop to give my hands a break <laughs> for a moment the red one fights like the fight you had said before bogey bravo the blue one uses a lot more melee attacks you can never really focus on just one the best you can do is try to get it so that they are in flight together so you can slow down time and use an emp emitter to stun both of them mm -hmm. and fight them at once this part's pretty tough. There's not a whole lot to say about it, but experiencing it, you really can't stop. And you have to pay attention to the sounds they both make to know when one of them is firing, you know, the high power laser that can nearly instantly kill you, mm -hmm. or one of them's throwing out a uh, floating mine, in which case you want to shoot it down before it explodes. I think there's a constant supply of ammo during this fight. I think so. I feel like I was at least regularly getting assault rifles. Like, it would be kind of unfair if they didn't have at least a few ammo drops around. Once you do enough damage, both of the bogey units fly at you and you have a quick time event where you do classic pummeling duel. <laughs> but this time against two of them at the same time. You can destroy one of them, and for reasons you'll soon see, it doesn't matter which one you destroy, the other one will fly up in front of you and say, the wrong one, I'm afraid. And then you have to take that one out. Though it's at this point Sam asks Elena to activate the limiter release on his suit, which extends your ARS gauge massively. I think it also just generally makes your boost and stuff much faster. Which is cool, but when I got to this point in the fight, I'm like, I've been fighting too this whole time. Like, I would have liked this yeah. then more meter to fight multiple bosses. Now I'm fighting one and it's just really easy. It kind of feels a lot like the victory lap at that point, like, yeah, go on, I guess you've earned it, I guess. <laughs> That's true, but then after you empty the boss's health, because Sam did the limiter release, his suit malfunctions before he can do the final blow, and so it gets up and walks at Sam, and you have to jam all these buttons to wake the suit up, and then dodge as Zaitsev tries to stab you with the bayonet on his gun, then grab the gun out of his hands, and you have to shoot him once, but the gun is wavering around. I failed that part a couple times. <laughs> but Sam walks up to it, and Zaitsev's face in the unit flickers out of existence, 
because it turns out Zaitsev was never there at all. He was controlling the units remotely with his mind. Thus making Zaitsev one of the smarter Platinum villains. Yeah. But it makes him, as a rival, not really a rival because you never fought him directly. He was just remote controlling stuff. But what is in the suits are nukes. So Sam needs to beat a hasty retreat out of Colony Laser because Zaitsev doesn't want the Americans recapturing it. So he blows the whole thing up. Goodbye, satellite laser. You will be missed. There's another, oh my god, Sam, are you dead? Okay, I'll buy it more this time. Yeah, this is at least slightly more understandable because this is the end of the game. I could imagine killing more. They do kind of go a fair way to, like, make you think, oh, he might actually be dead after all, but then, nope, he goes through the escape pod, and they hug, and it's a very lovely scene. And then, it switches to Winters in her conference room by herself, and she just says, this is the end of my presidency, pulls a gun out from the drawer, and shoots herself in the head so that her blood splatters on the American flag. Symbolism. Anyways, then you get to a fun sequence during the credits where you get to shoot the faces of the dev team members on asteroids, and then it gives you a readout of who they are. Yay! And that's the end of Vanquish. Well, there's one other scene. Zaitsev in his pod that's watching the colony explode from a distance gets a contact from the guy, and Zaitsev says that he accomplished his mission, and his master tells him to await the next phase. And it's, it's been some years, and we still don't know what that is. 2016, guys. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the Vanquish sequel. <laughs> it's gonna happen. But yeah, then that's the end of Vanquish. No one accomplished anything they were setting out to do. Yay! <laughs> Off the main cast fucking died. And what did Sam learn? Uh... <laughs> oh, my ideals suck, <laughs> It's not what I wanted, but it'll do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's another reason, among many, people don't like the plot. And I think we should get into that now, because uh, for this episode, I asked for some responses via email. They're kind of lengthy, but since we only got two, I ended them a little bit, but we're pretty much going to read them in full. All right, so uh, the first one. Dear Sid and guests, I'm sure you've already addressed how Vanquish director Shinji Mikami was inspired by neo-human Kashern for the game's character designs, general sense of high-speed action, and even a cut robot-dog companion, which was later revisited by Platinum in Metal Gear Rising. And it's also possible that you brought up how Mikami, in the same interview where he admitted his Kashern inspiration, stated that the only reason it wasn't more like Kashern in terms of combat was that he had already directed, quote, a game with only punching and kicking, unquote. Clover Studios got hand. Mikami wanted to make a game where you defeat robots with guns. I, however, would like to discuss how Mikami had already directed a game where you control a questionably cool protagonist in a highly advanced future spacesuit, are rewarded with mostly meaningless points for style and time elapsed, and shoot far too many robots with palm blasts that were supposed to be guns. No, no, (laughs) That game is 2003's commercial and critical flop, PNO3 of the famous Capcom 5. Fucking remind me of PNO3. For those of you who don't know, this refers to five games Capcom was going to make for the GameCube, three of which ended up on the PlayStation because they were good, one of which didn't, which was Piano 3, and then there was a game called Dead Phoenix, which they never even finished because it was apparently so bad. 
Anyways, Mikami has spoken of how rushed PNO3's development was, and how some of his unused ideas were ultimately folded into Vanquish. As such, do you believe there is any credence to the argument that Vanquish is a spiritual successor to PNO3? If so, wouldn't that make Mikami's reasoning for not making a high-speed space god hand irrelevant, as he had already made a space game with stylish shooting? Is PNO3 somehow the reason that we can't dragon kick a robot's metal ass into the Milky Way from orbit? Respectfully, Gogalord, aka the guy who thought Confronica secretly inspired most of Resident Evil 4's campy stuff. P.S. Fantasy Star Online and Vanquish were both published by Sega, and a fair amount of the Vanquish staff worked on the Capcom 5 games, the Resident Evil series. When are we gonna get an episode that I can't do the easiest 6 degrees of separation ever on? And it's even tighter than that because Hiroki Kato, who directed Resident Evil Code Veronica, worked on Vanquish as a game designer. Also God Hand, and after Vanquish, he apparently did not find the success he wanted, so he became a farmer. Fair. Well then. This is an article about it. It was an interview with Mikami for Polygon about Tango Gameworks, the company started afterwards. So, I feel like I can answer your question about why he made a game about shooting in space again with what you said in your own email, Gogalore. 2003's commercial and critical flop PNO3. I suppose looking at it completely objectively, it's like, yeah, PNO3 would make the whole shooting robots with guns thing irrelevant, but... PNO3 fucking sucked. No one liked PNO3. <laughs> yeah, like, I think it might well be considered a spiritual sequel, but at the same time, as a creator of stuff myself, I'm very much a follower of the creed of, if you can't do it right the first time, go back and do it right another time. Yeah, it's, it's a fair point. Like, if you had some cool ideas yeah. in there, but the execution was off, just take those ideas and put them in something else. And this is what he did, yeah. and it came out really well this time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of space god hand, Metal Gear Rising isn't in space, but otherwise, it's Vanquish with close-range combat. Pretty much, yeah. There's a lot of same story beats, it has a lot of ideas that didn't make it into Vanquish. It's got a lot of similarities. There's a guy in a white suit with a goatee <laughs> named Sam, except that's Samuel Rodriguez. He is great. Ah, uh, God bless you, Sam. Yeah, Jetstream Sam, who doesn't use jets, and Sam Gideon, who does use jets. Actually, yeah, there's also a time-slowing mechanic in yeah. Metal Gear Rising, the, the Zondatsu. Yeah, what really needs to happen is, since Konami has given up on video games, you know, Platinum, you could just make a sequel to Vanquish and, you know, put some yeah. with a sword in it. You could even make an action game where you have a gun and a sword, but make it good, unlike the most recent gun and sword game, Devil's Third, which is garbage. Oh god, Devil's Third. It doesn't look good. So I think just the fact that he knew he could make a good third-person sci-fi shooter is why he did Vanquish. Still waiting on a game that actually integrates the robot dog into the main gameplay. So Metal Gear Rising had a robot dog, but you could only play as him in the DLC, and that DLC was not that great. Yeah, it was kind of a very strange... Like, half of its VR training. It does have a really good boss fight, though, and one of my favorite boss oh, fight yeah. games. Boss fight's awesome. The boss fight is awesome, the music is the best in the game, and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. Yes, yeah, it's oh, that's great. Alright, so also I got a, a reply on Twitter. I'm not really sure what I was thinking when I said, hey, if you want to put forth your thoughts on Twitter, because you only get 140 characters, I guess I could open the direct messages. Anyways, 
Uh, but Llama Phil wrote in, I bought it because people said it was like Piano 3. It's not a lot like it at all. It's still okay, I guess. Yeah? <laughs> all right. I was, I was going to get Phil on for the uh, Code Veronica episode, but he wasn't able to, to do it. And uh, yeah, he didn't like the second half of that game at all. <laughs> he has some interesting opinions, let's say. He actually he has a, a blog about uh, old racing games called Highway Forever. I'm not a big fan of racing games, but reading about like the experience of playing old games actually reignited my interest in retro games. Mm-hmm. If we ever do an episode about King of Fighters or Eschatos or something, then you'll have him to thank. One more email. Uh, this one's pretty long. It's from our pal Sundian. Hot off the heels, lol, of Bayonetta, Vanquish was a game I very much anticipated and played during its launch year. That being said, a lot of my memories of the game are fuzzy from the passage of time, so if something I say doesn't line up with what is in the game, that's why. Let's begin with the plot. It sucks. Like, it's got the kind of fun camp the way the Resident Evil series is, and has a fake Hillary Clinton-looking political figure going for it. However, the plot points feel so disjointed and not unified with the gameplay segments, it's hard to really care about it. I also don't remember much about how it ends, other than there being two twins that felt like they were introduced in the last minute and felt really anticlimactic. I think she's referring to the Zeitz of mm-hmm. remote things. Uh, I can see why I might have thought that after a while yeah. of playing it. And, I mean, the second bogey unit does come out of nowhere anyhow, which Sam didn't even seem surprised about. I guess the cutscene with the space terrorist microwave San Francisco is kind of cool and really messed up. Too bad it feels so distant from the rest of the plot. Which, yeah, like we said, that only really comes back at the end when you're gunning humans down. Sam, his name is Sam, right? Is a cool character. He felt a little on the generic side. Okay, maybe a lot on the generic side. But he smoked a cigarette and had stubble, so he was pretty cool. <laughs> I don't really remember anything about the other characters in the game, except that there's a mentor figure that betrays you at some point. She's referring to Burns. There's kind of a mentor figure, but mostly he's just old. <laughs> Uh, he seemed alright too, even though the game felt like it did a bad job of explaining his motivations. That's also correct, because Burns helps Sam at a lot of times where he doesn't really have to. And you could maybe say, oh, he needs Sam to move forward, but I don't know, it never really seems to stress how much anyone needs each other, because Sam spends a lot of time saving Burns' men, who he doesn't care about saving. It seems like he gets more use out of Elena than Sam, because she can hack things. Okay, gameplay. I don't think anyone's going to argue that Vanquish doesn't feel great to play. The weapons feel and look cool, and the way the game handles movement is still phenomenal. That being said, I remember the game being really difficult for me, even on the normal difficulty. I largely attribute that to me playing the game incorrectly, so let's back up a little bit first. I love to play character action games like Devil May Cry and Bayonetta recklessly and aggressively. I'm the kind of person who wants to dodge at the final moment to squeeze the last hit of that combo out. So when I came to Vanquish with Platinum's pedigree in mind, I looked at the gameplay mechanics like sliding, bullet time, shotgun, and melee and decided I wanted to get in enemy spaces and destroy them in close combat. The game doesn't really work like that. i take a break to talk about that. I can understand seeing that because I, too, wanted to just do lots of melee attacks. And I think the idea that I mentioned for having it drain part of the meter would attack, I was actually thinking of when I played Resident Evil 6, which is a pretty maligned game, but it, it has a lot of mechanics. I guess you could sort of say have some kind of analog in Vanquish. Like you can even slide and stuff, you know, move at high speed, etc. Do melee attacks, mm-hmm. and that's one thing. When you do melee attacks in the game, it drains your combat gauge, which isn't a stamina gauge. 
but you kind of make that same sacrifice because stuff like doing a stomp on an enemy you downed with a stun move won't work if you've drained your gauge. So even stuff that doesn't explicitly drain the gauge when you do it on its own relies on you having the gauge. And I think this game could have done with more of that. You know, like not having you slow down time when you shoot during the boost might encourage you to be more aggressive because you'd feel faster and not like you're putting yourself in a worse position. Yeah, I, I like how the game's mechanics kind of work for either a defensive or very offensive playstyle, but I think they could have done things to help streamline it more. Yeah, it can be somewhat opaque to try and figure out all of the tricks, and in some ways the control scheme I found kind of screwed me over with trying to learn some of the more advanced techniques because there's some kind of strange combinations that you have to twist your hand into sometimes. It's like, mm, they could have done more, definitely, but I do like what they did. Yeah. Alright, so the game doesn't really work like that. There's a cover mechanic in the game for a reason, and it's not just to throw cigarettes out from behind. So cool. Sometimes you need to play a little defensively in harder sections or you're going to get caught in crossfire of enemy bullets. I didn't want to do that for most of my game and ended up dying constantly as a result. Furthermore, and this is my largest gripe with the game, the melee mechanic is pretty much a last resort that should never be used. In addition to being underwhelming, the melee attack would immediately cause your suit to overheat, effectively making you a sitting duck for the rest of combat. The way I wanted to play the game was basically skate around with a shotgun and then melee enemies in the face when I got close, but it simply wasn't a valid strategy and that's on me. I can't remember a lot about the non-grunt enemy designs. A few of them gave me trouble, like a weird scorpion thing with a tiny hitbox on its back. That would be Babia, which is like the tiger wizard. I remember dying there ten times trying to kill those stupid things. Another gripe with the game was that I didn't know if weapon upgrades would go away if I lost that weapon. So I ended up only using two weapons the entire game for fear of losing progress on them. If it was possible to take another weapon without losing upgrades on the previous weapon type, great. But I wish the game communicated that at all. That's fair. There's an on-rails segment in the game. I already normally hate on-rails segments and non-rail shooters, so the fact that they put one in the game all about mobility really sucked. The final boss was cool, but the length of the fight was kind of underwhelming. I remember when I defeated the twins, I was super confused that there wasn't another phase. Which I can kind of see. Mm. Yeah. The last boss, since it doesn't do anything different when you knock him down to one, like you think it would have some kind of alright, now that you've destroyed one, I'm going to release my limiter or something. That would have made it feel appropriate, actually, if you both did it. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, I left the game feeling kind of hollow. The gameplay, which is, again, the best part of the game, felt really good when I was barely getting through encounters. But every time I died and restarted at a checkpoint, which was a lot, it really took me out of the flow of the game until I got to the point where I just wanted to finish it to be done with it. I think I did try to play the game incorrectly, but it's a shame that the game wasn't better teaching the player about the right way to clear encounters quickly and stylishly. It's a game that I'd like to revisit someday and maybe even get good at, but that's so hard with dozens of new games coming out every single day. Alright, Sundian, thank you for that email. And yeah, those are a lot of fair points. Like, I think you actually covered a lot of the complaints with the game. There's a tendency, I think, to look at the game and expect the immediacy of a platinum game for what sets it apart and while the game is quick and stuff it's a third person shooter model that platinum built on top of it can encourage being aggressive more but you can't go at it with the exact same like really aggressive play style that you could in say metal gear rising yeah that is kind of the thing these days like platinum has very much become its own genre in the kind mm. of stylish action mm. branch so it is very easy to kind of 
be lulled into thinking that every single game that they put out will be like that. Yeah. And Vanquish is definitely the black sheep of the series. The only other game that Platinum's made that is atypical is Infinite Space, which is a DS RPG. Mm -hmm. For whatever complaints you have about it, it exists outside the model of how they make other games, so you can't judge it for that. But this, it has similarities you can think of. And ultimately, I feel like because they wanted to make a third-person shooter, they ended up not being able to do the kinds of things that would draw people in to their own game. I mean, it helps in one sense since people know third-person shooters, so you can still play this game like that, and it's still enjoyable. The encounter design is flexible enough that you can have fun with that as a stop-and-pop shooter where you can occasionally just boost around everywhere. <laughs> but... I think if you wanted to make it more like a Platinum game, you'd have to come up with a completely different way of how the game works. Instead of manually aiming your gun all the time, you would probably lock onto enemies and then maneuver around them while shooting them. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, that cutscene where Sam is boosting around the Argus in the airport shooting at it, you can't really aim and move at the same time like that in-game as well, or at least for as long. Yeah. But, I mean, if you were just locking on and not focusing on aiming, then that could work. And something like using your guns as a go-between for what a melee attack would be. Like, in Devil May Cry for a special edition, they added Lady, and she mostly uses guns in what's a melee-driven action game. Yeah, she's really weird to play as. Yeah, but her guns have different effective ranges, and they have different moves that can sort of alter what range you'd want to use them at. Mm -hmm. I think you'd want to use any gun at long range, but if you use the handgun, you can launch an enemy into the air. And if you use the shotgun, you can close distance with an enemy really quickly. Whereas then with like the rocket launcher, you do more damage if you're further away, but you might also want to use that space to set up a special attack. I feel like what people want is maybe Lady in Devil May Cry 4, but with the pedigree that they developed through Metal Gear Rising. Yeah, I could see that. That's the thing, we only kind of realised what we wanted years after the game was made and finished and sent out into the public. So, I do get that, and I feel like if they had had that same sort of idea when they were developing Vanquish, it probably would have become a better game. The only other game I can think of that's like it is Binary Domain, which is not a fast game. <laughs> it is kind of interesting, because there are games that kind of have that same sort of idea with them, like Bulletstorm leads to mind especially, because you have the slide, you have the kind of incentive to be creative with your kills, but it's a first-person shooter, and it still feels quite slow and clunky at times. Because it was partly made by Cliffy B. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but at the same time, I appreciated what it was trying to do, mm -hmm. because yes. it was very different from FPSs out there, which was very much Call of Duty, or Call of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> All that aside, it was definitely impressive at the time, but historically now, I think people are quite aware of the limits of the PS3 and the 360. This game doesn't run at 60 frames a second like every other Platinum game does. I'd say it probably pushes the limits of the console harder than even later games they made. Metal Gear Rising lets you cut something to a thousand pieces, but that's like in a limited extent, and then it gets rid of those pieces really quickly. Meanwhile, you have Vanquish, which is continually modeling and keeping in frame an entire colony, and that's like thousands of parts all at once that it has to deal with continually. So the whole, like, you chop stuff up in Metal Gear Rising and the parts don't stay behind. Well, they do. 
on the PC version if you want. And that is kind of something that, like, there have been rumors floating in the air every time any, like, console game that you thought was never going to get a PC release gets announced and shows up on Steam. It's always, oh man, Vanquish is going to happen. Like, it's gotta happen at this point. It still hasn't happened. I'm honestly not sure why it hasn't happened. It's not like Bloodborne or Demon's Souls or it's, oh, you know, those games are owned by Sony Entertainment, so, you know, the license belongs to them and they don't want to put the games on PC. Vanquish was published by Sega, and almost every other Sega game you can think of has been ported to PC, but for some reason Vanquish hasn't, and I don't get why. In the Fantasy Star Online episode, we talked about Fantasy Star Online 2. That hasn't come to America on Steam, but there's apparently a whole lot of bizarre licensing issues surrounding that. Yeah. That, you know, they made some bad deals, etc. This game, it's like they just forget it's there. They don't reference it much. I think at one point, before some big show where there were a bunch of announcements, Sega tweeted, like, an image with Vanquish, but it was just to make a pun about going fast or something, I don't know. It is really honestly pretty frustrating, because the, the controls would be a little more difficult because you're not using a gamepad. I mean, you could. But for all the aiming and shooting in this game, I definitely think mouse aim would help a lot. Mm-hmm. And letting it be fast in a different way. Yeah. And, you know, Vanquish is also left open for a sequel that never has been announced. Yeah. I don't know what it could be, either, because it's done really well. At least, like as far as people's opinions of it. You know, you'd have to look really far to find someone who hated Vanquish. Yeah, I think there's some people who feel ambivalent about it. I don't know anyone who just, like, hates it. And fucking Watch Dogs getting a sequel. <laughs> oh, God, no. The thing is, I feel like if you announce another Vanquish, people who maybe weren't even too hot on the first game would be interested to see what they do next. Yeah. Platinum Games, when Vanquish came out, they had some recognition, but not anything approaching what they do now oh no yeah yeah if you want actually something kind of close to vanquish platinum made transformers devastation which lets you turn into a car to boost around (laughs) you can fire your weapons in an over the shoulder mode and do brawling moves maybe that's the model they need to work off of just you know reverse engineer their license game to make a sequel to their own original property yeah they might have to work with sega again to publish it and i don't know how they feel about that or even not, just make another off-brand game. You have a Sam in Metal Gear Rising, which is a Konami-published game. Yeah. Who's clearly influenced by Sam. Oh, you know, this is this is bam Sidian. <laughs> it's doable, and Platinum have shown before that they're pretty alright with retrying an old game with just different names. And with a sequel, too, they can maybe even expand on the idea of there being different augmented reaction style suits so maybe like sam comes back and you can still slow time maybe you can play as a character who has a jetpack suit like zeit says and have a different game mode yeah that could actually be really interesting if there were different suits maybe take the upgrade structure from like a resident evil 4 or something or metal gear rising because that would also encourage more repeat playthroughs because even though you can build up your guns in one run through of Vanquish, you can't start the game over with the buffed up guns, which kind of sucks. Because that means you can never use those specializations in early encounters. Yeah, it's a shame because unless you are really focusing on a gun, like to specifically upgrade it, then you will most likely only get it to rank ten by like the end. 
you don't really have much of an opportunity to use the rank 10 upgrade, which is really a shame, because the rank 10 upgrade usually kind of shakes up what the weapon can do. It's usually quite special. Even for the assault rifle, just adding on more damage kind of makes it a, a lot more interesting a weapon. Yeah. Because suddenly it's viable in a lot more situations. I mean, to be fair, there is a mode that encourages you to do more of this kind of thing called tactical challenges. Oh god, those. But you unlock them as you play. Yeah. And there's like one specific one of those that has a ton of upgrade cubes dropped so you can try things out. Mm -hmm. But tactical challenge mode is extremely difficult. Yeah. I couldn't beat any of them. Same. They're just hellishly hard. It's like some of the later VR missions in Metal Gear Rising. They're just so painfully difficult. I appreciate them putting that in, but it's not something I can enjoy. It's for people who, you know... Okay, God Hard Mode, that sounds totally viable. Nope. Better practice in Tactical Challenge Mode. I tried God Hard Mode. I beat Very Hard Mode. I just died like five times in the very first firefight. I was like, you know what? Fuck this. <laughs> and if they had like a reward structure or a replay structure, like, yeah, I wouldn't mind trying God Hard Mode with like some upgraded guns mm -hmm. and maybe a higher ARS gauge or something. Yeah. But no dice. And that's all unfortunate, but at the very end of the day, like, Vanquish is still my favorite third-person shooter. It's a really good game, and as someone who works like a full-time job, it's nice to have like a really short game where there are still a few of what Shinji Mikami called slogging through sections, but even then, they're not too long. It's, it's a tight, focused game. I remember a lot of people complained about Metal Gear Rising for being really short, but I prefer that so much to a game that overstays its welcome. Because if a game's slightly too short, I feel that's like, oh, well, I really wish I could have more. I guess I'll just play that over. But if a game's way too long, then you just lose interest and you don't care anymore. So if you want to try Vanquish, if you want a new copy, it's kind of expensive, 70-ish bucks on the PS3 on Amazon, or like 50 bucks for the Xbox 360, but used copies are much cheaper. You can get it for about 15 bucks used and 8 on the 360 used. Yeah, I think that's a good price, especially considering the length of the game. Again, I can see complaints from playing this at full price and it being pretty short. But at this price, I think that's perfect. That's exactly what I'd pay for it. I got it about, I think it was a couple years after it first came out. I got it for, I want to say, 10 to 15 pounds and... I think that was definitely worth it for how much time I got out of the game, because I played it through on normal, I really enjoyed it, I tried it very hard mode and just bashed my head against that until I eventually won. Yeah, I got it for a Christmas present, and I enjoyed every minute that I spent on it, so I'd say if you can get it, then definitely do, because it's a very unique experience. Yeah. Yeah. You can usually get it digitally for kind of cheap. Not too expensive, and it's definitely a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad I was able to play it. Hopefully I can revisit it someday. Uh, if a PC port comes out, then I'm definitely going to do that. I'd support that 100%. Or a sequel. Either or. I'd support a PC port. I probably couldn't run it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, with the hope that one day you can. I bought Deus Ex Human Revolution like, so oh jeez, years ago. <laughs> I've only had a computer that can run it for like one and a half years. Yeah. All right, so that about wraps up our show on Vanquish. 
I want to thank everyone for listening. Thanks, Phoenix. Thanks, Amy, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me. Phoenix, if people want to find you online, where can they look? Well, on Twitter, I am currently known as Wordiest Bird. I'm the guy with the Rux avatar who can't stop gushing about transistors several years later. <laughs> I'm also on SA, although I don't exactly post that very often. I am known as Wordy Bird there. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a something awful account, and everyone I know who has one says not to get one, so... <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll add to that chorus by saying don't get one. I pretty much only post in Cowbox and Fans as LPs friends now because those are good. Go check them out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can just find those on YouTube, luckily. Yeah. Alright, and uh, Amy, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at GeckoTime8. I'm not on many other places. I have a Tumblr at YourGeckoTime, and I also have a Patreon under GeckoTime. If you want to pledge, I do writing and stuff, and $1 will get you pretty much everything I post, so, you know, every little bit helps a lot. So you should go do that. Yeah, go do that. Do the thing. Support artists. <laughs> and you can find me still at Beam Splash X on Twitter. Yeah, I mostly just post terrible puns still. That hasn't changed. For God's sake, don't follow him. Don't follow him, <laughs> whatever you do. Well, you don't have to encourage me. I mean, mostly if a tweet does well enough, most of what I'll retweet after that is everyone's disgusted responses. <laughs> Occasionally I'll have a thought about something. Such as that Batman v Superman is the Mega Man X6 of superhero movies. And outside of that, I mean, occasionally tweet about games, might mention streams I'm on. So you can follow me there. You can follow the show on Twitter at ThoughtABTGames. That's where we announce upcoming podcasts to look for guests. That's where we announce streams. I have done a couple to tie in with the first two episodes, so one of code veronica x and one of fantasy star online also you can find the tumblr blog for this show actually just at wethoughtaboutgames.com it'll redirect you to the tumblr site there and you can follow us on tumblr where we'll post all the show notes if we have any and all the external links and links to all the downloads and to the soundcloud and you can also now find we thought about games on itunes so if you use iTunes, which I <laughs> installed on a computer I don't use so I could put the show on iTunes, so I can see why people wouldn't, but if you do, ratings and reviews are much appreciated. And hopefully the next episode will come sooner so that there can be some kind of form of listener retention. When are you going to stream your Godhard playthrough of Vanquish, huh? <laughs> I actually I don't have a capture device for my PS3, so if they do a PC release... I will stream Vanquish on Godhard. You heard it here first, folks. Hold him to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not opposed to it. So, you follow the show on all those places, and I hope that you do. I hope you all have a good time. Thank you for listening, and keep thinking. Good night. <laughs>